Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that really needs some timey to repel it. I'm your host Craig and it's time for our discussion of the final episodes of Legion. So back with me to discuss the final ever run of Legion. Aaron, welcome back for the final time. Howdy, hi. Are you ready to discuss the end of Legion? Did you ever think we'd get here? I'm always ready to discuss the end of Legion. And <laughs> always, always ready for it to end. Always ready to specifically discuss the end of Legion. Yes, I've been <laughs> waiting for this for three years and now I've finally got here. From week one, he was like, why have I agreed to do this? And now he's finally released from that contract. No more long-form commitments. Everybody's happy. Everybody's excited. Oh my god. Uh, we thought he was gone, but he appears to be somehow back. Chris, I thought you were eaten. I, I, may, I Maybe I was. <laughs> I'm back. Yay. Back. I'm cool. back. I've been missing a massive amount of time. Uh, yes. So, yeah. Perhaps well, what have I missed? <laughs> well, what you need to do is spend the next three hours telling us what you thought of the entire season of Legion up until the chapter 25. Go. What, there's 25 <laughs> chapters? I, I thought it all finished after season two, didn't it? The, the other <laughs> season hasn't been on yet. No? Well, yeah, you have a lot of catching I remember I was here and we were talking about the season two finale and our hopes for season three and well, it started again. Yeah, okay. Some catching up to do. Or there's a complicated time travel situation going on here that you need to interact with. (laughs) Yes, or that. Who knows? I don't even know where this bit's going anymore. So, hi Chris, welcome on for the final of Legion. (laughs) We've missed you this season. It's just been the two of us. And I've missed you too. I've been listening and wanting to interject and and throw (laughs) in my tuppence worth. And I just end up pausing and, and shouting and then unpausing and continuing on. It's like, those guys never listen to me. Why, why they not listen? <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's a recording, it's not real. You can't interact with it. In Legion, maybe you can. But yes, it has been interesting. We have made it to the end. We've done, I don't know, a bunch of episodes about Legion, and we're on the last one. This Speaking of interactive, how do you think it would have been if they'd have done a Bandersnatch-style Legion, where you could make choices for David, would that just be too mind-warpy? Oh, yeah, that would have been great. Why are you pitching that now? (laughs) (laughs) Noah Hawley, if you're listening, and we know you are, it's time for a special return to Legion. You can set it in between the seasons, we wouldn't notice. We We won't know. We've got... Oh, no, I can't say stuff because we haven't done spoilers yet. I was about to ruin the ending, so no. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, they could have done that, but I think it may have made heads explode. You could probably build a choose-your-own-legion out of what we've got, because there's so many different <laughs> weird pieces, that, <laughs> the little uh, blind alleys in there, that you could probably build it out of what's there. Sounds like someone's just volunteered. <laughs> Suddenly he goes quiet. Oh, look, the time eater's got me again. <laughs> but before we do that, before we discuss the final episodes of Legion, we will kneel before and rise against stuff, as we always oh. do. Yeah, oh yeah, that says Aaron. Yeah, I've forgotten that. Yeah, no, I'm ready. Totally ready. So you can go first then. Kneel before something. Kneel before. Right, okay. I am going to kneel before DC's choice to get the master voice that is Kevin Conroy in to play Bruce Wayne in the 
big crossover coming up. So Chris, mark the calendar. Aaron has just knelt before the Arrowverse. Yes, that's great. We can tag him back in on all the podcasts now. <laughs> You'll be able to join our uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths podcast when we do it. Good God. So I meant to say, actually, I forgot. I t- totally went out my head. This is what Legion does to you. But my Neil before and Roy's against are both pained decisions. They mm. both come with a, I'm choosing this regrettably. And you've just highlighted my pain for, for the <laughs> DC. Every year, someone or something, usually Craig, manages to persuade me to watch these crossover episodes and two years in a row I've really not enjoyed them I thought right there's no chance I'm watching this one it's even more series crossing over it's an even bigger time commitment and yet now somebody else has managed to sucker me back in with something that I don't think I can miss so I, I don't even know what to do with this it feels like unfair and amazing at the same time what's the, I need a German word for that what is unfair and amazing at the same time I don't know. I don't know enough German. Chen. But we'll, we'll find out. Yeah, yeah we'll need to forward it the, to uh, our German correspondent. Yeah, you can yeah. tell us on the Crisis on Infinite Earths podcast. <laughs> <laughs> One I, of the many. <laughs> oh my god, right, no, I'm not sure I can, I don't know, we'll see. But yes, Kevin Conroy is playing Bruce Wayne. They've been specific about Bruce Wayne, so I don't think they'll get in yeah. any costumes. My thinking is he will appear in the Brandon Routh Kingdom Come style universe where they're a bit older and maybe things are a bit more bleak than they currently are. Who knows? I don't really know what they're going to do with any of these kind of cameos, if they are cameos or starring roles that they've announced. So um, it's all up in the air. We just know that they're happening. So we don't know how prominent it will be. But that would be my guess. He'll be like a cynical old Bruce Wayne that's kind of lost his path or whatever. But, but yeah, getting Kevin Conroy to actually play him in the flesh, that's... I mean, remember when Nick said in the Comic-Con one, never say never? That is the never say never, isn't it? You know, everyone thought that that would never happen. Was it, well, by his choice, or just because he's not known as a physical... Yeah, actor. it's just because he's known as a voice actor. Right. So the, the belief, I guess, from everyone was, yeah, he'll always be Batman, but never in the flesh. I suppose people can kind of live with that, and now they don't have to. I've got to admit, I'm curious from the simple perspective that whenever you hear some person's voice, maybe it's on like uh, an audible book or something, you make a decision about what they are like in person, what they look like, and how they act. And I've I've kind of already seen what he looks like, but I'm definitely going to be surprised by his mannerisms for Bruce Wayne and I'm wondering if it's going to be redefining for me or too shocking and I won't know what to do with it. You can let us know in the Crisis on Infinite Earths podcast. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> We've set it up. The fans want it now. That's it. The listeners yeah, the fans want it. Want it. Nobody yeah, wants you're to You're down on the road now. We've, we've put you in for the slot. You're, you're that, booked in it. now. So that's yeah. it. Sorry, man. No backsies. It's the no. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> nobody wants to hear me repeatedly bang my head against my laptop as I try and talk about the DC stuff. No, that's just not going to be good for anybody. You might Again, absolutely love it. Who knows? New sound for the spoiler klaxon. <laughs> <laughs> just Aaron hitting his head off a keyboard. Yeah. You might absolutely love it. You never know. I have to be awake to that possibility, yes. Yeah. In at least one of the many Earths, yeah. you will love it. Oh, that's an interesting perspective. I could get behind that, actually. I like this Earth. I like specifically Earth <laughs> 341, and that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not what episode you liked, it's what particular Earth. 
Yeah, I like that Earth suit. Unfortunately, it only appeared on one scene. That was annoying. Chris, what do you think of Kevin Conroy appearing as Bruce Wayne in the flesh? I think it's good that they're crossing over to sort of voice actors and different bits and pieces like that. A lot of what I hear about Crisis has me really interested. It's one of those things that I've said on other podcasts before, which is it absolutely terrifies me that there's so much good news coming out of this. It's like, what are they going to do wrong? How are they going to mess this up? They're not going to mess this up, are they? <laughs> so I'm <laughs> a bit like Aaron. I'm sitting there going, yeah, I like the sound of this. I like the sound of that. Yep. And this press release sounds really good. Yep. Yep. All sounds great. How are they going to spoil this? Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that they've just completely hit out of the park. They've been working on it for so long. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm interested. I think it was Berlanti that said it wasn't just about our corner of the DC universe, it was about as much as they could throw in as humanly possible, and that certainly seems to be what they're planning to do, because you've got Burt Ward, you've got Brandon Routh, mm. you've got now Kevin Conroy, so it's, yeah, they're paying tribute to all these kind of, well not even just live action versions of DC stuff that's cropped up on TV or film over the years, and it's possibly the right thing, you know, and I'm sure the people that run the films are just like, ah, oh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> and we wanted him for our crossover event. Yeah, that's it. we were going to do Crisis on Infinite Earths and it was going to be mm. rubbish. So don't take that away from us. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Aaron is reluctantly kneeling before that. So fair enough. Reluctantly is still doing it. So that's good enough for me. Chris, what is your kneel before? I am going to kneel before uh, The Boys, uh, which has been uh, showing on Amazon Prime. Uh, I've watched uh, about four episodes of it, I think, four or five episodes of it, and I've been really enjoying it. Sort of a superhero show with a bit of a difference. Um, It's a weird mixture of comedy slash action in it. But yeah, really good fun. Been enjoying it so far. So uh, yeah, kneeling before that. I haven't seen this yet. It is on my list. It um, is. It's good. I think. I think you'll like it. You'll either turn around to me and go, "You are absolutely wrong," or you will enjoy it more than me because you'll probably get like odd references in there that I'm, I'm not getting. In particular, my favorite character is the Deep, who's kind of their version of Aquaman. From the first sort of episode or so, you won't really like him, but then coming on, he's just such a tragic figure, and it's brilliant. <laughs> cool. Aaron, have you seen the boys? No, not yet, but as you say, definitely on the list. Yeah. I'm sure Andrew's watched it all, but he's not here. So Yeah, I'll probably try and watch it soonish. It's only, what, eight episodes, so it's pretty small in terms of time commitment, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty small, but it's got it's got some really good actors in it. You've got Carl Urban in there, who's, who's brilliant in it. You've got Simon Pegg's in there. He doesn't do that God. much, but he's in it. <laughs> Is this just a Star Trek reunion? <laughs> I mean, every minute that Carl Urban does something else is another minute he's not playing Judge Dredd again, which is, you know, not in his favour. I never really did Judge Dredd, don't we? Yeah. Dredd is a great movie. You should watch it. That is all. <laughs> Craig has spoken. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Star Trek, my kneel before actually changed like two hours ago when I came across this piece of news. CBS and Viacom have now merged, which Ooh. probably has all these extra implications for other stuff, but... The only real thing I care about is now the Star Trek franchise is whole again. You don't have the movie rights over here and the TV rights over here. It's now under the same umbrella, which means... I don't really know what it means. It just means that they don't really have to be divorced from one another anymore, which probably opens them up to a lot more potential storytelling-wise. Going to have Crisis on Infinite Star Treks now. Well, you could have the... (laughs) 
the Chris Pine verse crossover with other stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's good. All all the rights being in the one place, I know that people sort of jump up and down and shout a bit about uh, Disney owning the universe. So it's nice for it to be someone else buying them. I don't think it's about buying them. I think they were still owned by the same parent company, but they merged the brands. I think something like that. Yeah, I mean, rather yeah, than someone yeah, that knows corporate law can correct me, but there's no one like that here. So I'll just assume I'm right until told otherwise. Yeah, the bit I've read about it is there's a, there's a lot about putting the two content libraries together because they've both got sort of rival video platforms and it makes sense for them to be together rather than two competing offers. Yeah, plus same franchise, right? Mm. Might as well. So that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. I don't know how much I believe about when they said that when they introduced familiar elements into, say, the film universe or the TV universe, that they had to be kind of 20% different. That's why they redesigned the Klingons on Discovery. That's why the Enterprise looks slightly different on Discovery, things like that, because everything has to be 20% different. Well, I've heard competing reports that that's all nonsense as well. You know, the ship is what it is. It can just look like what it is, so you don't really have to redesign everything, and they just redesign stuff because they want to put a more modern stamp on it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know how true any of that is, but if it is true, then all of that's gone. You don't have to worry yeah. about that. Anymore. I don't. I don't know how much of that will actually be a thing. I, I kind of have the feeling that you know, if a set's been deconstructed after a movie, it's not going to be sold off to a TV company to then make their show. You know, they'll design their own set. You know, their own CG company will be doing it, and not another one. So they won't be able just to copy and paste what someone else has done. But yeah, yeah. So we'll see what that means for the franchise. Probably in the near future, they'll probably start playing around with it pretty quickly, I would think. Well, they've been releasing so much content, and, and there's so much to come with sort of Picard and uh, other seasons of Discovery and animated shows and all sorts going on. So, yeah, I mean, it means they can sort of amalgamate it, and the possibility is that they've been planning this for a while, so they might have already known about it while they were making their plans. Maybe. Yeah. Aaron, do you have any thoughts on it? I don't think I'm as big into Star Trek as yourself, so I don't get any initial, this is an amazing reaction. I'd be interested to see what they do with it now they've got infinite choice, I suppose. But but yeah, I'm afraid to say it doesn't, it, it doesn't immediately do something for me. Fair. Okay, let's move on to Rise Against. Aaron, let's hear your other begrudging Rise Against. So, my Rise Against is Another Life, which, when I started watching, I kind of wanted to like because of various plot points that are in it. But yeah, it didn't really manage to fulfill a promise, I think, of any of these points. It was it's another show that clearly somebody had some really interesting ideas, and I think they were sold in these odd little scenes throughout but then when you're watching how these scenes are linked together, they just use normal trope plot to go from one to the other. And then there's the same sort of pitfalls where they set something up and you think, oh, this would be really interesting. But then it's just immediately resolved and you think, oh, so it didn't go anywhere. So I kind of wanted to like it because it was much more promising than the the one that was based on George R. R. Martin's science fiction setup, which you get these sort of similarities in its basic setup. You know, so we'll just do another science fiction thing with a ship and people are in trouble on that solo ship. How are they going to deal with it? And I thought, oh, yeah, they've done something better here. They're going to push it a bit further. They're going to be a bit cleverer with it. But even though it was slightly cleverer, 
unfortunately, that promise was, you know, as I say, it wasn't fulfilled for me, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I've actually not heard anybody that I know say anything good about this show. The closest that happened was just you, with they had some interesting ideas. I've heard a lot of people talk about how rubbish it is, and I suppose it falls into the Netflix strategy at the moment of, let's make ten things and see if people like one of them. Because you're always hearing about all the new things they're churning out, and then you're hearing about how many of those new things are absolutely dire. Mm. So it suggests they're just spending money on a bunch of stuff that people might like and then hoping for the best. It is good from the point of view that they seem to just greenlight a project and then leave it alone. You don't hear much about the Netflix bigwigs are interfering in my film and my TV show or whatever. So for better or for worse, they're letting people tell their story, but sometimes, I'm not saying that studio interference always or even ever improves a thing, but sometimes it does, placing a limitation on someone encourages them to do something different and maybe think about it a bit more laterally. So maybe with infinite creative freedom, you just don't get that. You just embark down your wrong path and no one ever tells you different. I was wondering, it's, it's going to sound a bit arrogant for me to say this and it probably is, but who cares? I can't think of anything else to say, so I'm going to carry on. We are on the internet after all, which is that I wondered if they're giving new writers or new directors or new people a chance, which in itself is a really good thing and should be supported. But it, if that is true, I feel like, whereas I don't necessarily want studio control brought in, I do wonder if they couldn't bring in some expert hands or some more journeyman artists who could just provide a bit of a steer and say, I see what you're doing there, but have you considered this? Or you might be falling into a bit of a trope trap here. Can we rethink this? So they're not telling them what to put in in terms of you must have this number of young pretty people in it, but they're just giving advice on storytelling and direction. Yeah. Because it, it does seem that sometimes with these shows, there's ideas that are really good. As I say, when they see how they're threaded together, even though the idea itself might be new, the threads are just everything you've ever seen before all the same traps you've seen before all the same sort of emotional letdowns where there isn't that development that that we constantly rail against and it it must be really difficult to bring ideas together i'm not saying that there's no skill to this job there really is a skill to this job but if there's not that experience on set, if there's not experience in the writing room, maybe it is just a bit easier to fall into a trap when you suddenly think, how are we going to get from A to B, even though A and B are great? What is that path? Yeah, it turns the creative freedom into a double-edged sword in that way. It's like, yes, you can do what you want, but also you have no filter, so nobody's helping you along or whatever. You know, you don't have that kind of barrier or that buffer into what you're making. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I think it's great that we're getting so much content, even though it's just unfeasible to, to watch any of it, really. But at the same time, it's, yeah, if, if what's coming out, and it's, if it's plentiful and what's coming out isn't at all that good, then is it worth having it? I mean, it could be that there's another life I haven't seen it could learn from the mistakes of its first season and make an absolutely banging second season. Maybe. 
I don't know how possible that is based on what they've set up, but it could happen. Chris, have you seen this? No, I've not seen it yet. It's popped up on my Netflix as one of those big trailers that you can't get rid of quite a lot at the end of episodes and things. But um, no, I've not had the chance to see it yet. There is a lot of sci-fi out there at the moment. There is a lot of stuff getting made. But I think we've got to take the good with the bad. Because the thing is, for every couple of bad ones, there's a little gem getting polished somewhere, which is great. You know, we're lucky that we're getting sort of Netflix and Amazon and the likes giving support to some of these sci-fi shows that wouldn't get off the ground on a TV network unless they were already established names like Star Trek, for example, which has already got a proven audience. Then they weren't really making them. I mean, Sci-Fi Channel was struggling to find sci-fi for quite a while. (laughs) There just wasn't enough of it out there. And it was all getting ceased. So, yeah, I'm, I've not seen it yet. You know, I'll watch a couple of episodes and see what it's like. But, yeah, it's it's got a, a kind of cast that, that interests me and stuff. But uh, I'm a bit like you, Craig. I've not heard anyone uh, say anything that great about it. And uh, Aaron's just put another nail in. So might go slightly further down the list, somewhere behind Dread. Yeah, good plan. So what's your rise against my rise against is the plans by Disney to reboot Home Alone, amongst others. Um, I rose against this the other day. But did you rise know. against yeah. it the other day? Yeah, but let's do it again. <laughs> right. Are you sure? Yeah, All right. Fine. Unless you have a backup. I, I don't have a backup sitting then straight to hand. I can, just, I, I can rise against rising against the same thing as other people. <laughs> We've got no list. Yeah, I'll rise against it. At least I know I've got a supporter out there. Yeah, there's no need to reboot these films. It's just, yeah, it's as unnecessary as some of the live-action uh, films that they're doing. It's like, what are we going to do? We'll remake the thing we already own. Cool, let's do that. So what is it? It's Home Alone, Night at the Museum... Yeah, Night, Night of the Museum is one I don't, I don't even understand even more because that's been so recent that it just doesn't seem necessary. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you just do a different museum and different characters and go, da-da, you know. It's, yeah. yeah, fine. Or just the same thing again. But or or the, same, <laughs> the same thing again without the likes of Robert Williams in it, which, you know, won't be as good and won't have as good a heart in it. You know, and the first one was okay. And then it kind of dropped a little bit. Home Alone is another franchise where first one was great, second one was okay, and then it sort of dropped off and they started doing more sequels and things. So I, I don't get, especially with something like Home Alone, is like how does that work in like a, a modern day setting if you're bringing it up to date where everyone's got mobile phones and trackers <laughs> in their phone? And, and, you know, it's like how is this going to be possible at the end of this? Unless the reboot is like the realistic version where the parents then get arrested for child abandonment and uh, thrown in jail you know it's going to be a courtroom drama over custody yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's it's going to be some custody battle (laughs) that only works if they're working class people wouldn't believe it if they're any higher (laughs) (laughs) me and laura had this conversation when we did the hundred so if you're a listener that enjoys the hundred and legion which would make you something of an oddball you know a good kind of oddball then you'll hear this twice, so apologies. But Laura's suggestion was that they might be like an Amish family. <laughs> so <laughs> they don't have access to technology. Although why are they getting on a plane, I suppose? Maybe they're off on a... <laughs> Leave on a horse and cart. Yeah, and then... Like, and then they're three days away before they notice their son isn't there somehow. There's also the possibility it could be set in the 90s. Yeah, still have it in there. Yeah. Or earlier, 70s, 80s, whatever. Considering Home Alone's a bit of a throwback to kind of 80s kids can do everything comedies anyway. 
because it was made in the early 90s, could set it in the 80s and it would kind of work. But again, we've got Home Alone. Like, just yeah, put it on Disney+. Well, Plus. Yeah, the thing is, like nostalgia is in. People like stuff like Stranger Things because it's set back in the 80s. So you can go back to the 80s with Home Alone, but if you want to go back to the 80s with Home Alone, you can just watch Home Alone. So it's like it kind of defeats the purpose, and I don't know quite what you could do better about it or different about it because it's always just going to be compared to the original. So, yeah. I don't know if you saw the thing about Disney not being all that happy with Fox's financials for the quarter. I did see stuff about that, sort of with Stuber not doing particularly great and uh, Dark well, Phoenix. Dark Phoenix, yeah. Well, Dark Phoenix, the yeah. They, I, th- I think the fact that the Disney Fox merger happened kind of killed Dark Phoenix in any, you know, because the. Coming out with that announcement, everyone basically went, oh, well, that's the end of that X-Men universe then. There's no point in watching the tail end of this. But they could have rescued it. Like, it's up to Fox to market the damn thing. Like, it was still their property until Disney bought them, you know. And um, arguably anything that's coming out in the next couple of months is still a Fox thing without Disney's involvement anyway. It's like when Disney bought Marvel and everything after the Avengers is kind of the Disney Marvel stuff. But everything up who, and including the Avengers as your Marvel Studios piggybacking off other studio stuff so you don't start Mm. to see the Disney influence creep in until a bit later on but I don't know, I think it was Bob Iger that was talking about, yeah these figures are not good enough and starting to feel like maybe we bought a lemon here what is going on, why are you just losing money all the time, so I guess part of this is they're retasking all their known properties to be like right let's churn out something here and see what we can make out of it and I don't know if that's the right thing, I mean I know a lot of people hate the fact that Disney bought Fox because it could potentially harm the industry, and people are reading this as Disney are cancelling everything Fox are making, which means all well, we're going to get is superhero films. And I don't think that's the case. I think they'll still continue to make, especially their Fox Searchlight Awards contender stuff, because they'll mm. want their films to be winning awards. Of course they will. I don't know. Again, I'm not a Hollywood financial expert, but it does seem like they're having a think about what to do with Fox properties, and for some, unfortunately, Home Alone is just one of them. I mean, it might be the, you know, like you say, if the financial results for Fox's recent stuff hasn't been that great, they're going to go for some surefire bets that they're going to be able to market really easily and get scripts written pretty quickly and try and make some money back on their investment. Yeah. But I agree in some way about the merger possibly damaging film sales because if you're Disney, do you put two competing good films on? at the same time, or do you then spread your wares out throughout the year to make sure that you're not harming your own properties all the time? You know, are you going to put two competing things from Fox out at the same time as you're trying to do a Disney release? Now, at the moment, that won't have had as much of an impact, because like you say, a lot of the Fox stuff that we're seeing at the moment it was actually planned ages ago, and they won't be able to change the releases that much. But moving forward, you know, are you going to see things spread out a little bit more? As far as Searchlight, You'd like to think that they will run some of these as little sort of sub-entities with their own autonomy within the Disney organization. Yeah, you know, they will, they will still have... Yeah, you know, you, you hope that they're being run in a way that they still have a bit of the autonomy to go off and make the films that they want with, obviously, a bit of Disney oversight there. You know, there's been a few sort of scare articles recently of Disney executives sitting in Searchlight Films going, Spotlight Films, I'm trying to think what way <laughs> it goes, is sitting there going, oh, no, this 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 isn't for a Disney audience. And the thing is... That was is the title with T.E. Hitler thing specifically. Yeah, was that what yeah. that was made out of? Yeah. So at that, you're you're sitting there going, okay, well, that's not, the, you know, that's the point. It's not a Disney 
thing. It's not your traditional Disney movie, which is why Fox was out there. Because if it had been making Disney movies, <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't have been successful. Because Disney were already making Disney movies. So yeah. I think there'll still be a bit of adjustment in there. Hopefully it'll figure itself out in the end. But yeah, this for me, rebooting sort of films that aren't actually that old or just don't need rebooted is a bit of a cash grab. I think I've already risen against the live action reboot several times. <laughs> the, the different guises that they've come up with. And this is just kind of another version of that. Yeah. So sort of going back to the classics and going, oh, well, let's make more money from these. Aaron, do you have any thoughts on all of this? Kind of a broad topic we stumbled into there. Well, to, I suppose to go back to the original, there's there's nothing much more I'm, I'm going to be able to say on it. As, as, as Chris mentions, the, the live-action films are not really offering anything. The only way I can see they could do anything useful with it is to follow the principle of all storytelling, which is every time you get a new generation with a new perspective, in theory, you can retell the story from that new perspective. And that's why we get a Robin Hood every generation, because there is, in theory, a way of changing it. Like the 80s Robin Hood, Robin of Sherwood, was very much a commentary against, I think, Margaret Thatcher's government or at least the writers had that politics which is a perfect story because it matches some of the earlier well we're the saxons we dislike the normans and i'm sure it goes back even further to the origins of i'm a guy with no food and i hate all the rich people that have all the food and so it's the same story that gets retold so in theory there is an option to do a home alone as you were talking about a modern one where he's some sort of kid who's on his phone all the time he never looks up he's always playing a game and that leads him to walk into traffic or whatever and his parents don't notice because they're always on their phones and then maybe his phone gets stolen he can't actually call the police or something and they could do some sort of modern commentary on social media being ever prevalent but actually totally useless when you really need to do something important like find your lost child but are they going to do that or are they just going to go, what do people like? They really liked it when that guy got hit in the face with a, I don't even know what it was because I've not seen paint it, can. but paint can. There we go. They really like the paint can in the face gag. How can we get the paint can in the face gag in? I know. We'll have a paint can in the face. Brilliant. And then, and that's the film. So there's got to be options there to do something as I just kind of made up, but yeah. I guess I don't believe that they will, I, I think they will stick with the paint can. So I live to be proved wrong, as I do with Kevin Conroy making the DC Universe the most amazing TV show on the planet, but we'll see. It'll just be released by a robot controlled by an app on the boy's phone. Sure. Or the girl's phone, or whatever. Yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah. um, Fox are going to be headhunting you for your pitch now. <laughs> no, they can just and nick it. They've got loads of lawyers they do what they want. Yeah. And what about the kind of Disney buying Fox and the changes they might make? Do you think the, the movie industry will become a endless onslaught of nothing but superhero films and other blockbusters? Or do you think that they'll keep the kind of indie awards contenders coming out? Or do you think they'll do something else entirely, perhaps? Honestly, without knowing the industry well enough, I think I can make a good argument for both because it could be that the executives take great control in which case you will lose your variety because they will have a hand in everything but if that does happen i imagine other indie filmmakers will turn up and take all their 
funky stuff. Equally, they've got infinite cash, almost infinite money, the ability to print money, and therefore they can set up loads of subsidiaries and they can have, right, this is our big film subsidiary, this is our indie film subsidiary, and this, you know, and, and they can brand them all under Fox or whatever they need to to make sure it gets to the most people and and take over the universe. As long as they allow them to act reasonably independently, then you might not even see the hand of Disney behind them all. So without understanding how the industry works, I can actually see how it could go both ways. But the cynic in me does want to rise to the fore and say, Disney will do as Disney pleases. And <laughs> But but again, even, even if that does happen, there should be a backlash at some point. Audience will go, I'm bored. They won't do it out of any great ideology to support the little guy. They will just go, I'm bored. Do you want to go to the cinema? No, it's the, it's the same film I've always seen. Should we just watch Netflix? And then somebody will come along and go, there's a gap in the market here. So potentially all of cinema will probably survive, but that might be after a negative period, I guess. It seems like Disney are allow their subsidiaries to work reasonably autonomously. So like Marvel Studios, it's Kevin Feige that runs the show and there's mm. no real indication that he runs into any barriers over what he wants to do. What he wants to do, it gets done and it's like, how much do you need, Kev? Like yeah. two billion dollars? No problem. You know, and we'll get it back, I promise. Yeah. And then some. And then I think it was Kathleen Kennedy that was doing Lucasfilm until it turned out her ideas were not working. So that was when the big wigs stepped in. And was like, yeah. right, shut down all your side crap. No one wants to watch that. No one cares about Young Han Solo. Let's not make any more of these. Let's focus on episode nine, and then we'll see what's happening after that. Yeah. And so it seems like they'll intervene if they feel they have to. And I suppose after looking at the balance sheet for Fox, they're feeling like they have to intervene at this point. But we'll see what happens when the dust settles, I suppose. I'm a big blockbuster guy, obviously. 130-odd episodes of this podcast probably have me championing blockbusters on almost every single one of them but also i do like some of the not all of it but some of the lower budget indie stuff you know some of it's very very charming so i'd hate to see that disappear i don't think it ever will i think you'll just see it in different places even if it disappears from fox or wherever you'll see it turn up on netflix or on amazon or whoever's willing to fund it you know someone will fund some of it at least your hope is that they use the money that comes in from the big blockbusters and they throw a portion of it over yeah. to make some smaller films. You know, the argument always is for the, the amount of money that would be used on one Marvel film, they could make six, you know, arty indie films. But, yeah, you could you could probably make 50 films for, for oh, the yeah, cost of your average you know. Marvel film, you know. But, uh, maybe not as many as 50. We'll go with 10. You make 10. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Nice round number, 10. Yeah, that's that. We'll make 10 films. And it was, as Bruce Campbell said... Three of them will be rubbish. Three of them will be all right. Two will be great. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm. That doesn't add up to ten, I know. The other two we've already forgotten about. <laughs> That's it, yeah. We didn't even make them. They were that bad. <laughs> they, they were just planned sequels and we're just not going to do them. Straight to DVD. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not even straight to DVD. Yeah, they went to VHS. No yeah. one's even got VHS. That's why no one saw it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So my rise against... I'm going to rise against the recent report connected to Hobbs and Shaw. So in this report it was revealed that the likes of Jason Statham, The Rock and Vin Diesel have it in their contracts. They shouldn't be losing fights when they're in action scenes in films. <laughs> their characters shouldn't be losing fights. And also there's something about counting punches that seems yeah. 
Like it's may <laughs> or may not happen. I think Vin Diesel had a system that his sister was supposed to manage and it didn't really work because it's stupid. Uh, I think the whole thing's ludicrous. It's just so pathetic. It's all these professional strong people complaining about the fact that their characters might get beaten up in a film. And when you watch these films, I mean, you watch Hobbs and Shaw and they never lose. They go into a fight and they come out the other end of it completely unscathed. And it's kind of boring because losing builds character. Imagine a Rocky film where he wins a fight at the beginning. You know, Rocky 3, he beats Mr. T in the first half hour. What do you do for the next hour and a half? <laughs> so I just had to rise against it because I think it's kind of pathetic that they, they think like that. You know, no one's going to think any less of them because the character loses a fight in Act 1 of a film that they're in. Because they're going to win in Act 3. That's how these things work. Seems like one person managed to get that in their contract and when everyone else found out about it, they're like, oh, 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 well, that, I'm getting that in my contract next, you know. It's the I, I will win all my fights clause because they can somehow sell that and pitch that better, you know. People yeah. will come out of it thinking, oh, they're great because they they, they never lose, you know. That guy's awesome. Yeah. So the next, two, next time you watch a film with those three actors in it, or even just an action film in general with a reasonably big muscle man star. Just pay attention to the fights and see what ends them. It'll either end with a victory or with something stopping it. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, well, a lot of those fights, and well, a lot of those films, and as much as I like sitting watching them, I had a lot of fun during Hobbs and Shaw. It's one of those, shut your head off and enjoy this film. You know that the heroes are going to make it in the end. It's very rare that you ever get the turn of fate where the hero or the heroes that you've been set up with at the beginning are decapitated and dead by the closing act of the film. They'll win somehow. That bomb is never going to go off. The countdown's going to drop, 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 drop. And at the last millisecond, way longer than it ever should have been if they were working in real time, that bomb will not go off because they'll cut the right wire or they'll hit the right button or the hacker on the computer will hit the return key and then that's it. It's the way those films work. Now, the, the, the only bit that I think this changes is that there's certain actors in films that you're like, okay, well, now, okay, I am going to be watching the fight and noticing the fact that they don't lose. It's a bomb blast goes off and separates people or doors slide shut around them or someone else pulls them off or, you know, anything like that. So... Yeah, I'll be um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll be paying attention to it, but ultimately, I don't think it changes the films that much. I'm kind of against it being in contract, so I'll, I will rise against it with you. But I don't think it changes those kinds of films that much that you're going to get that kind of character because at the end of the day, if they are playing the hero or whatever, they're going to get through to the end and win anyway. Aaron, do you think anything about this? I'll pick up on the other part you said, which was the they have to have an equal number of fist throws or whatever, punches. This has got to have been in cinema since cinema began. The, the furthest back I can go with an equivalent, I think, is Towering Inferno. I think I saw something that said that they had to count the lines that Paul Newman and Steve McQueen both had. Oh, yeah, to that's make quite sure, common. Yeah. yeah, they had exactly the same number of words. And it's no different to the number of fists thrown so they get to seem equally as cool so maybe it's a bit of a weird thing but because it doesn't stand out to me as anything new in cinema i guess i wouldn't pay any attention to it It just seems to be the way it's done i mean these people have a brand they sell themselves as their brand and if you are the action guy and you get films based on people going to see you because of how cool you look in a fight and that's what you're selling you're not pretending to be 
a great Shakespearean thespian, you are, I'm the guy who throws the punches, then I understand that in this particular setup, this, this world, you have to protect that brand. So I agree, it's pretty dumb, but I don't know, we've created this cinema setup. I'm either too cynical to be surprised, or no, that's it, I'm just too cynical to be surprised, <laughs> I guess. Fair enough. Okay, on that note, we should get on to our featured topic. Some good discussions there, but it's time to discuss the final episodes of Legion. Way Or, uh, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure which way I'm going yet. Yeah. So, we're on our topic. Shall we just cut out the middleman and go straight to spoilers? As usual, go for it. Because there's too much to cover to not do that. Time eats that man. <laughs> Okay, so we're able to discuss it in its entirety. So we kind of went with a more topic theme based structure last time and that seemed to work for us. Let's do it again. So we'll start a bit on kind of morality because it is a big feature this season. What makes people good? What makes people bad? What is good? What is bad? Etc. Etc. Aaron, do you want to start us off with what you kind of thought about the approach to morality more in these three episodes that we watched? Oh, but it's chapters 25, 26, 27, by the way, for anybody that isn't keeping score. So I would say that the biggest surprise for me, and I don't know if I would kneel before I rise against it, would be Sid. And I always, with Legion, have to open with, I was totally wrong. And I think I need to lead with that now for definitely these episodes and definitely Sid. I was definitely totally wrong with what was going to happen with her, but that's just tradition with this. The thing that really stuck out for me was that she is definitely the voice of morality in these last three episodes in a way that I don't think she's been in any of the previous. And the strangest thing about it is the fact that she gets her morality completely reset in chapter 25. And it wasn't something I was expecting because it didn't seem to be part of her natural journey. She wasn't somebody who was going down a certain route, who was convinced of something, then went through a challenge, got a chance to change her ways, rethink her setup, and purposefully go against some past stance and, and take the opposite stance in an argument. Instead, she suffered a problem at the end of chapter 24, which caused her to have a mind wipe. She then got the chance to be rebuilt, and after that uh, was a better person. So she never really got a chance to reflect on her old ways and change. She just simply was then a better person and took different actions. Well, that's the way it seemed to me. It didn't seem like it was character development, such as complete and utter character rebuilding. And then she is, after that, the voice of morality that has to discuss, is it right to kill a child? Okay, no, maybe it's not right to kill a child. Where should we go on this villain? And you think she's going to go down this sort of Gandhi route where she is going to say, nope, we have to be completely nice to everybody. You shouldn't really judge anybody until they've committed an action. And then she even twists again. And she says, actually, David's too far gone. I judge that, and it's right to judge that. My new parents gave me this morality that says, you can do this sort of division three thing. You can decide who's good to be saved and who can't be saved. And once you've made that choice, it's okay to save the good guys and utterly exterminate the bad guys. 
And then she seems to change again when they're fighting the Time Eaters in the basement in the last episode. And she looks up at the sky and says, oh, David, whatever you're doing, do it faster. As if suddenly she's decided, no, he is the hero. He is the one that's going to save the day. Although maybe she's just desperate at that point and she realizes the only one who can stop him from destroying the universe. And I thought, I'm confused with this. I did actually quite like the idea that she could be rebuilt and therefore the reason that she doesn't have to have a comeuppance for any past bad decisions is because she has been rebuilt. It's almost like saying, no, I've been given this new perspective and that says what happened before was bad, but that wasn't me. I'm a new me now. So I'm better now. So I thought, well, that's different. I've not seen that before. It wasn't what I was expecting, but it's different. But then because she didn't seem to settle into one choice, if you will, because we're all puns here, um, a legion of choices, I just didn't know what to do with it. I think the show seemed to want to have a big message, but at the end of it, through Sid's perspective, I couldn't tell you what that one message was. Again, there were a legion of messages. So I think I got a bit lost in Sid's fairy tale life. I see what you're saying about the, the way she kind of flips on the way she sees the situation or how she reacts to the situation or the decision she makes within the situation. But for whatever reason, I latched on to this fairy tale side of it. So she wanted a real childhood because she'd never had one. She wanted a positive childhood because she never had one. And then Oliver and Melanie were able to give her that. And the fairy tale setting, I find it really interesting how simple it was because the whole fairy tale structure is your simple binary, good versus evil. And it's about raising someone good in a world that kind of had bad things in it, which is what you do when you raise a child. This world isn't perfect, so therefore you raise a child in this world that has bad things that they need to be able to deal with. So there's kind of basic lessons about good and evil that sort of hide the complex values that we all have instilled in us through the people we meet through the situations we deal with, through our parents, through friends, through everything. Just this complex mix of values that make up you. But it was hidden behind these basic lessons, and I really liked that. And when she had her, was it her stepsister or half-sister or whatever it was, Cynthia. And Cynthia chose not to be saved. So she kind of chose to go down a bit of a darker path, which made for a nice contrast to what Sid wanted and what, who she wanted to be. I just found that really interesting, the way she was being built, because what you had to do is you had to get from a point of a blank slate into a fully developed character in the space of an episode, and cloaking it in the simplicity of this simple good versus evil fairy tale story was a really creative way of doing that. It was, but even that, I thought that I was being led to see something more complicated. But then when I analysed it, I couldn't quite work it out. And I do feel it's important to say that everything that's going on here, it might just be that I didn't understand it. That's, as we've said before, I think one of the good things about Legion is it offers you something to go away and think about, and you might not get it first go. But that said, I have to then say I didn't understand even Cynthia, because you get all of this season three opening and going through the thought processes of consent. And then, as you say, Cynthia makes a choice to go off. Arguably, it's the choice made by an abused person, so it's an influence choice. But nonetheless, she has gone off, and to a certain extent, she is an adult, so you can try and talk people around, but really, you should acknowledge that they do have a choice. 
But then they decide as a nice family unit that does everything right, it's okay to kidnap her and force her to try and change, which seems to go against the whole consent idea, but it does match with Sid's final discussion about David, where she says, nope, he is too far gone, it's tough, he's had his chance, it is right to put him down. But if you do have that grey area of when society is allowed to override a person's individual choices, should you have that then in this, as you say, this nice black and white morality setup and pretend that the two are the same? And they clearly aren't under any form of, of analysis that one is grey areas and one is black and white. So I'm stuck with various themes of morality, choice and consent being thrown at me where the character seems fixed. And as you say, the background seems fixed in its decision of what is correct. But then when you start to look into the actions, they don't match that setup. And is that some sort of really complicated analysis of life is said to be one way, but in reality it's not, and everybody's a little bit two-faced? Or is it just a bit of a cock-up? I don't know where I stand. I don't know if I just missed the point or if there wasn't anything there. This is where Chris comes in and delivers the take that makes us both say, oh, yeah, that's what it was. (laughs) (laughs) No, not not at all, really. I mean, my main thing about, you know, said the morality is that she was just so poorly used at the beginning of the season. And even at the end, we're talking about the, the sort of fairy tale life to sort of change her or morality and our, our way of thinking. You know, at the back of my head, I had that down as, oh, we've only got a few episodes here, we need to, to come to an epiphany before the end. <laughs> you know, instead of showing a slow development, they were like, okay, we've got to speed this a little bit up and, uh, you know, and dedicate a bit of time to it. But, Aaron, you summed it up perfectly when you said you should sort of flip-flops dance through the whole thing. And a lot of the time, the reasons for her change and her action aren't exactly clear like you say she goes out with the mindset nope david's got to go and david's got to be put down and put out and and sorted and then she's given the opportunity to do it on two three occasions and doesn't go through with it changes her mind in the final episode you've got her protecting david there's almost an element of it's easy in theory but in practice yeah you know you can you can you can think about it but are you wanting to be the one to do it probably not it's like you know, the, actual, the, the Deadpool extended cut. It adds a few more time travel jokes at the end. And one of them is he goes back and attempt to kill baby Hitler, but he's like, I can't kill a baby. I just can't do it. You know, it's that, that kind of idea. I wonder if there's more in what Chris said with the, the thought that it felt a bit cut short, because I got that from more characters. I definitely got that from Farouk this season, who... Hmm suddenly was very faithful ally, but you just assumed, oh, no, it can't be. He's actually working behind the scenes. He's tricked them. He's the Shadow King. He's actually going to pull up a master plan. And then he does have a master plan, but he's actually decided he's really tired of being evil. Like, what? Okay, <laughs> fine. I totally you say that get that. Because I've got a bunch of notes, and I was going to come on to them later. It seems like, looking at particularly these three episodes, it seems clear that the didn't want this season to be the final season because there's this kind of big chunk of development left out in some cases. You know, maybe they wanted a fourth season to just kind of wrap up things a bit more, give you Farouk's change a bit more organically. Yeah. And it's, I suppose the same could be said of Sid here. 
Yeah, I definitely have that feeling. If it wasn't another season that they wanted, it was like another couple of episodes. And even at that, you, you wonder, there, there's some characters that they included in this season that I think you could have just not included them whatsoever and just had them not appear and use that time elsewhere because they didn't receive any development or they got picked up at the beginning of the season and then dropped. I mean, the whole uh, Patonomy is a, a robot thing. Yeah. was done as like a, almost like a gag at the beginning. And then he was used in a couple of scenes. And then at one point he goes in an escape pod and you never see him again. Yes. <laughs> it was one of those bits where you're like, why even include that? Why include him in this? I did hear you on the previous episode say, well, you needed someone to be the boss. And it's like, but you had plenty of them going about that could have been the boss yeah. and directing them. You had plenty of the Vermilion walking about that could have said what the status of the ship was and why <laughs> things were happening. You know what I mean? There wasn't any need to do that to that character, so it took up screen time that you didn't really need to use up. It was almost a waste of a character. It's definitely wasted, but it, it does make you think that, if you think about the theme, robots versus humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Robots versus mutants. Robots versus mutants. Well, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Either way, it doesn't seem to go anywhere. There's something you can intellectually get to if you think about it, which is the loss of identity. The, the robot doesn't have the identity the human does. It has the soul. The robot doesn't. As you say, autonomy is introduced at the start, and that theme is introduced at the start, but then it's not there at the end. It goes into time travel and morality in much greater detail and you could maybe argue that switch is coming of age gives you identity back Mm. but you have to stretch for it you have to want to find it go looking in the maze and then pull it out whereas if it was going to be a proper theme you should be more easily able to see it in the background in the foreground in the plots and the development so i think based on that I would say of the two options you've given, another series is is definitely the one I'm mm. thinking of, or even I, I, more than that, but definitely one of the series because there's David as well. He at, well, I don't know, I can't remember which chapter it is, but we talked about it last time, chapter 23, 24, suddenly says, I am Legion. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're a few. You are three or four. That is, by definition, you are few. But he is definitely legion there are thousands and millions of him at suddenly at that point and you see interesting development early on where he's talking to himself but he's talking to one of himself or at most two of himself so farouk becoming tired of the fight sid needing to change her morality david really losing it and shattering into a million pieces switch autonomy facing off against losing their identity and not realizing who they are, potentially coming of age or regaining themselves. All of these things are massive human plots. Mm-hmm. And they none of them really get fulfilled because some of them are either just cut out, as you say, or other ones, it was very much skip to the end, and here we are. Yeah, because yeah. the thing about Switch is she's introduced to give you an easy time travel method. But then there's this whole thing that, oh, by the way, you're a four-dimensional being. You're losing your teeth because you, you know, like a child, you lose your baby teeth and then you get your real yeah. teeth and then that's it. You know, the, the metaphor is very easy there. It's very simple. But you don't get a sense of who Switch is or what that means to her. And that's a problem. Although 
I don't think that Switch ever acted inconsistently, but then there was nothing no. for her to act inconsistently against, I suppose. No, no I mean, because... I think she would have worked as plainly a mutant, not even introducing the fourth dimensional thing. I liked the fact that time travel was taking her teeth. There was a pain involved yeah. in time travel. You know, it started to rip you apart the further back you went to sort of easily explain why she's not just skipping back and forward and back and forward and back and forward. Well, we talked e- about that last time. Yeah. It's an easy consequence. It's a visible consequence that yeah. you can latch on to. It's like, yeah, you may not be able to understand the whole butterfly effect type situation, but it's here's a consequence of it. The further back you go, the more she loses or the more hurt she gets. And, you know, from a mutant point of view, she's just not that used to her powers yet. That's easy enough. I mean, that's kind of the crux of most introductions in X-Men comics. You know, they they start off at one level of power and they become better at it as they go on. Yeah, I mean, I think the time travel element of that, I think, feeds back into what you were saying about morality and David's actions. Because, for example, when he goes up to the ship and they've decided that they're going to go into orbit for no apparent reason. He's zipping people out into space willy-nilly. He does not care who he's taking out, whatever connection they've got to him, because in his head, he's like, well, all this is getting overwritten anyway. I'm rewriting all of this. So he takes out his flock at the sort of weird commune. He's like, oh, all this is going to change anyway. Everyone's going to be fixed at the end of this. So he's just... No consequences. That's the morality at that point. Not only has he got these godlike powers, but at that point he's like, well, this is all going to get erased later anyway. Yeah, this timeline doesn't matter, so I can yeah. do whatever I want. Yeah. Because that element's been introduced. He's like, yep, yeah, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. No consequences. Whoop, 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 whoop. I'm going to kill you all off, and then yeah. I'm going to go and do my thing. That's almost a good villain story in itself. You know, the, I know that I can, that the timeline is malleable and it can everything can be fixed, so I don't really have to care about anyone because I can just fix anything. Mm. The strange thing is, though, that is actually such a key plot point that, again, doesn't seem to get the analysis that you were, I think, led to believe early on. Because before you come into the time period of post-SIDS reset, the moral question at hand is, if David changes all of this, does it make him better and they pretty much land on the side of, well, no, because he'll still be the guy that had done it. So it might make the setup better and people will be in a better place. But nonetheless, there's a very important identity plot point here that you cannot change what you have done. Even with time travel, there is still a linear perspective that we are watching. And what caused the rewrite of the timeline is that somebody was doing horrible things and Sid even says that to David's face and you think right that's that's a pretty serious plot point here and David thinks one thing Sid thinks the other so potentially I'm thinking in the last episode one of them has to convince the other that they are right and maybe it's the villain wins and Sid falls and we're left with David evil victorious which could have been an interesting thing or Sid wins and David is regretful and, and you get your morality play that you're expecting but then they wipe that sid goes through her mind wipe and her rebuild and you you don't see that moral choice again in fact they even go to the ultimate opposite i think because they they sort of start out with the idea that you can't change the past which is probably more of a metaphor for you can't change anything about your identity and yourself but then after sid's mind wipe and rebuild 
it seems to be that the characters accepted that you can change the past. It's actually fine to change the past, and that's exactly what we're going to do, and that's going to make everything better. Oh, and by the way, here's a four-dimensional being to say that, don't worry, I'll remember you, so I'll remember everything that's happened before, and that gives it meaning. So even though you previously hated everything and decided that you couldn't wipe the past, we are going to wipe the past, but don't worry about it, yeah, I'll remember it, so you carry on and have a nice life. Yeah, it's basically a cop-out to answer the, why did I watch any of this? Why does any of it matter? You know, the, the traditional reset button questions. Yeah, it turn, turns out it was reset. But I mean, the ultimate bit is I, I never quite understood, and I know this is kind of skipping about a bit because we started talking about morality, but, but Switch in episode one, David is going to get attacked and gets killed, what, twice, three times? They take yeah. out David? And three times she decides that the right thing to do is to save David. I, I could never quite work out the reasoning why. And even all the way to the extent where she takes him back again in order to fix him, it raises the question of, well, why save him in the first place if you think he needs fixed? Or if well, you don't think hero. he needs fixed? You know, it's I that. think it was hero worship, wasn't it? It's more that she wasn't really thinking through hmm. the details. It's the idea of him being a cult leader. You see this person as being right in some fashion because your setup is bad but their mm. setup defeats that so she's got this hero worship thing where he even says do this i don't want to but do you not love me do you not trust me well i do well in that case prove it show it and so she has to keep going because there's some instinctual belief that he's right but if she actually did a logical analysis she could end up in another place and she probably doesn't have all the information hmm. definitely at the beginning she doesn't have the information she's had a very yeah. nice dance number being given a new name yeah. and then meets david um, a bit of indoctrination and, in there yeah there, there is a bit i almost feel that if there's something skipped it was skipped at that point as well where you miss the why would she suddenly think that david is worthy of saving you know she's essentially been taken into a cult and, well, we could have uh, definitely seen more of her build-up. And again, maybe I that's the cut so. short. Yeah, and it's to explain what then comes round at the end when she meets her dad in the corridor. Or yes. meets dad, the character, not her dad. I don't know, that's sort of almost unexplained at that point as well. It left me sort of questioning decisions. And I think you get that a lot in this show, and we've had it through all the seasons, really, is you question, why did that character do that? And it's always been pretty difficult to answer. I don't think the answer is always because the plot says we need it to be. But quite a lot of the time, I find that's the reason why, in my head, with yeah. a lot of the decision changes. It suggests to me that we wanted to do more of this, but we didn't have time. I think that seems to be a thing that they suffer from this season. I mean, I didn't really notice it until the last couple of episodes, weirdly, you know, the... But now when I think back on it, it's like, oh yeah, if they'd had time to do this and this and this. I guess before I'd seen all the episodes, I kind of wondered that, well, are they going to be able to somehow spin straw into gold here and use these two and a bit hours that they have left in these remaining three episodes to just give us everything? Which they didn't, because you have an entire episode that's I was going to say off format, but does Legion have a format to go off? <laughs> Probably not. It's actually formulaic in the sense that every season has a Sid episode, you know, one where she does something on her own. Mm. And that was this one. But it's an entire episode where your principal characters are, well, not even the Sid that we know. Most of it's that young girl playing it, or the collection of young girls as she grows older. Mm. And then you've got Oliver and Melanie, who we haven't seen in over a season. 
yeah, I mean, it answers the question of sort of where are they? Floating about the astral plane. Yeah, floating about kids. the astral plane, waiting to rescue <laughs> broken things that appear. Yeah. You know, what, what's the line? Things when people forget about them, they appear here kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, but the thing about doing that Sid-centric episode, which is kind of off, is at the point that they chose to do it, you're building up this whole time to David going back in time, in inverted commas, fixing his life, fixing everything that went wrong, stopping Farouk in the first place from ever invading him. And at that point, at that big climax of that episode, what they decide to do for the next one is to have absolutely none of that whatsoever and go over and tell a solo tale, which I think almost could have been done an episode before or so. I get that you need Sid in a coma or out the way but it sort of felt like putting the brakes on you know like the pace is building up the story's building you're getting ready for your finale and then the brakes were slammed on for an episode and it felt a bit jarring at first and i suppose that's what it was meant to feel like but Mm. for me it kind of felt like the brakes were put on a bit too much during that but that's indicative of this running out of time Mm. thing isn't it because it almost felt like the first five episodes were written and then oh We've just been told season three is the last. Well, I kind of don't want to rewrite those five episodes because I really like them. But now I need to jump to the ending of the season four that I wanted to get my conclusion. And the only way to do it is with a sharp left turn and try and make it look purposeful and part of it. So I think you've seen the break in seasons. Potentially you saw something that was the end of season three and then the first episode of season four but rammed together in the middle of season three because of this time problem, which is, of course, massively ironic, given that one of the bad guys were the time eaters, but uh, <laughs> or maybe totally... They've, e- they've eaten a season of the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, almost your end of season three could be David meeting Xavier, and then season four explores what all that means. You know, season four is this mythic final season, season four... Mm. It's building up to all those choices, everything that happens in the last two episodes that they kind of just have to motor through because we only have an hour and a half left to tell this story and we don't really have much of a choice. And interestingly, when I did the 100 podcast, discuss about how endings are hard. Final yeah. seasons are hard. And there's a weird trend in television at the moment where TV shows are specifically getting renewed for a final season. It happened with iZombie, it happened with this, it's happening with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's happened with Supernatural, it's Arrow as well. So it's very much a, you're getting X amount of episodes, that's your whack, finish it off. Which, I suppose for a showrunner, for a head writer, for whoever, that's great, because at least you know there's an end point, at least you don't get to the end of the season, you're like, oh crap, they're killing us. (laughs) But, But sometimes that's better, leaving people with the mystery of, oh, what the hell happens next? So could you imagine if Legion had ended and was never coming back with David in the past meeting Xavier for the first time? That's your final scene. Well, it, it wouldn't have had the impact of a moral choice because it would have just been a physical event. But they, yeah. if they'd have ended it with, he has to make a choice and his dad's in front of him and that was somehow symbolic of one of the choices, then it could have been an amazing ending where the audience decides which way they think David goes. But if it was just, surprise, Xavier, you thought you were getting Patrick Stewart, but you're not, then yeah, that would have been nerf. <laughs> yeah. So, 
endings are hard. See, on that, though, there's one thing about the morality bit that matches the ending point, which I don't want to move on without discussing, is, to me, chapters 25, 26, and 27, then, are season four. The ones we discussed last week are almost perfectly season three, and it ended with David zapping Sid, and you're thinking, the bad guys won, the good guys are strewn and defeated, how are they possibly going to come back? And then season four opens in true Legion style with, and now for something completely different, (laughs) we're inside Sid's head, leading into a totally different setup. And I think that sustains quite nicely from the fact that the morality of season three was, is it right to put David down, given that he hasn't broken the universe yet, but he has committed all these evil acts? And are we better than him are we the same as him? Because you've got all these different villains and different types of villainy, because arguably Sid and her team have joined Division 3, and they're a villain of another sort. So you've got that morality and those choices playing out. And then cut to Sid. Season 4 begins with her getting rebuilt, which gives you the perfect stepping stone to ask new moral questions because she is a totally different person now. She might not have meant to be. It might not have been a purposeful choice for her to reflect on herself, but nonetheless, she's a different person. And then the last two episodes give you an ending which potentially answers a question that there wasn't time to ask, but I really liked the ending because if you see the partnerships at the end, even when Farouk makes it very clear, I think you and I are dance partners now, it's older Farouk with father Xavier, and it's younger Farouk with childlike David. There's very much the theme of the kids fight. They are either brutal to each other and overriding the other weak kids or they think they're gods and have decided they rule the world, so they go and stomp around the playground. And they defeat each other with combat, pure brutal combat, even if it is in the astral plane, it's still pretty nasty and they go for each other. Whereas the adults then have a discussion and one of them says, you've brought a knife into this plane of infinite possibility. Do you really think we should fight that way? Let's have a beer. Let's talk about it. We're adults. We'll negotiate. We're diplomats. We're nations with presidents who will talk to each other. And of course, that end point is the grown-ups with their diplomacy win the day and they have to go and rein in the kids. Even though it's totally different to the original moral question that was set up, it has this really nice ending, which is a message. I mean, to put it in a trite way, it's we should stop fighting, sit down and talk to each other, which I think is too cheap to describe what actually happened. I think it was a bit bigger than that. They do actually talk through their problems. They do actually come across as wise people who have seen the issues and, and think there's, there's some way we can pursue it here. And they've even got a rather brutal twist on it in that nobody's really happy with this compromise. But to a certain extent, that's what compromise is. You can't have everything you want. We have to create some sort of world together where everybody can actually live, even if it's you two have to live in the same brain. Not going to be pleasant for you, but let's face it, that's the best we can offer you. But we, the adults, promise to try and make that as good as we can. We'll be there, we'll support you, and we'll help you develop into whatever this world can offer you. And I thought 
that's an amazing ending in two episodes that was too quickly set up that I didn't really get the emotional impact for because I really wanted it to be season four with 12 episodes to get me to. Yeah. But if I had had 12 episodes to get me to, I would have loved that ending. I think that was an amazing way to finish off. David starts as a child, doesn't actually become an adult, but adult is pointed out as the best way to deal with your problems. But of course, as we've said, the Time Eaters took out the end of season three and, and a lot of the start of season four. And, and so I didn't quite get what I wanted. Bit of a shame. Yeah, and I forget what it was that I saw, but it was something about how compromise isn't about making everyone happy it's about making everyone equally unhappy is the cynical twist on it but yes that's essentially what's happening here but i think it also ties back into something melanie said to sid and noted it down the quote it's remember it's not us or them it's us and them yes and that's yeah. very much you need to pivot your thinking you're not trying to defeat someone here you're trying yeah. to help everyone and you know, you could almost see that as be a lesson that resonates with Sid through an entire season. And she builds up to that point where she understands that lesson. And I think maybe that's what you're talking about, how she's changed her mind. She's changed her mind again. That is the wheels turning and she's kind of processing what she's learned. But you only see have half an episode to think about it. So, yeah. She doesn't get a chance to develop that either. David no, and no. Xavier do it and Farouk does it. And oddly, Sid learns the lesson in the first episode of this season four that I'm talking about, but it's actually Farouk and Xavier that follow through on it. And Sid is left in a basement with Carrie and Kerry really achieving nothing. There is no point to them being there at all. But this proto-season four starts with the message being delivered through them. And it feels like that's where the 12 episodes come from because Xavier and Farouk kind of already known this because they are the adult perspective but it could have been that Sid learns it and she's a child like David was a child so she's the one that has to deliver it to David and he goes okay dad okay Farouk I actually don't agree with what you said but you know what I trust Sid and she's saying the same as you so I'm going to accept your compromise and then the big fight stops with the conflict being defeated by these two children who were first of all in love then hated each other and then settle in some sort of unhappy compromise as you say and the whole thing's a perfect metaphor for itself but yeah no time to get Sid out of that basement certainly yeah and this season four that we didn't get as well you know you have the the ideas of nature versus nurture and essentially choice versus Mm. destiny being chucked in at the last minute to play around with and you get that in the last episode when it has that text crawl at the start where there's just a bunch of phrases that are just noted on the screen and that whole thing about playing the part that you're supposed to play and it does ask that question is david destined to become like this and is that because of his upbringing or is it because of his lack of upbringing is his nature to be evil or if you raise him differently does he become a better person sid almost answers that by becoming a different person by being raised differently so you can almost see where that idea comes from the maybe if david was raised differently it'd be the same thing he's a different person he's a better person who knows but just whizzes through it completely whizzes through it maybe it's a problem of just too many questions yeah not enough time to give the answers Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, because Legion's thrown up so many different topics throughout all the seasons, really, and this one's no exception. They've added even more in here, layers upon layers of them. They were never going to get the chance to answer them all, because I think even if they had another season, they would still be adding to that list. 
uh, right up to the end. I don't think that we would ever have got all the conclusions we wanted. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier on sort of wasted characters. Sid, in this final episode in Carrie Carey, you didn't need in that basement at that end point. But I think the hint is that them opening the doorway and going through there is what dragged time eaters in there. I don't think they were particularly hunting David until they went in there. Yeah. yeah. So if they had been stuck on the ship and hadn't worked out how to make a bracelet to go through the door, it wouldn't have made a blind bit of difference at that point. For actual consequences for the finale, there would be no difference without them there. Although saying that, I did find the Carrie Carrie ending to be kind of satisfying. I, I thought that was nice. I thought it was really neat because it basically puts them like on a par and, and sorts out that balance with them that I thought well, was really nice. It defines our connection, isn't it? It's like, yeah. the, what am I to you? What about brother? Yeah, I thought it was really nice, and I thought it gave them something, but don't think like overall plot wise, it wasn't quite what needed to be in there. I like what you were saying about Sid convincing David. I almost feel the same about Sid potentially being that bridge to speak to Farouk, since she's been working with him all this time. Yeah, who's going to broker this deal? Is it Charles, who's not really met Farouk at that point? Or is it Sid? I think she could have been involved in those discussions as a, like a neutral in between the two parties, along with Charles. I think that would have been an interesting dynamic. But I see how logistically getting her there at the same time would have been difficult if they wanted to put her somewhere in it. But like you say, that might have needed a season four's worth of development to make sense. Yeah, we had issues with context, certainly. Uh, so the the whole Xavier teams up with David to fight Farouk, or mm. is going to, you know that that's the initial idea. Although I did quite like the cake that avoids exposition. Yes, if you eat this, you'll understand everything. That is the neatest way I've ever seen of avoiding exposition. That's yeah. very eat, very clever. Yeah. Eat the mind cake that and yeah. the glasses, the Farouk's glasses yes. as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. you'll see everything that I've seen. See through these yeah. eyes. You that's know. it. Yeah, we don't need to talk about it. The audience already knows. Let's just get on with it. We'll have a few <laughs> seconds of you eating cake and then we're fine. We all know what's going on. I think with Gabrielle, I got a bit of whiplash when it came to that because when I'm trying to convince her to be like, you should raise your son. You should love your son because he needs it. And she's like broken. She's completely lost hope. And I don't think they justify that enough. I mean, I understand on an intellectual and objective level why she feels like that. It's been a long time, relatively speaking, in the season since we've seen her last. Mm. So I actually thought the Xavier-Gabrielle thing was done, and I haven't really been thinking about it since then. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it was like she was getting messed about with sort of inadvertently because of David appearing in the house. When they do the time travel first attempt, she's getting messed about with by Farouk, and then she's getting messed about with by David. She's hearing all the voices, you know, you know, mummy, it's me, David, yeah. <laughs> coming from upstairs. So no wonder she thinks she's going mad again. I mean, I loved her line, he cries a lot. It's like he knows something. <laughs> or whatever, the you know, it was along those lines anyway. Almost that understanding that there was something else going on here, but also... What else is going on here? What do you actually know? And what is keeping you from loving your child, ultimately? So David was abandoned by them because, I guess, Xavier thought that dangerous. Well, that's been established, but we don't have the emotional grounding for that, which makes it more difficult to kind of latch on to. You don't really hear the explanation much from Xavier either. 
Um, as, as a side, I think this is a really well-acted Charles Xavier, actually, seeing like a, a different take of him. Um, but I don't think you really get the justification of, well, did he just go travelling and never come back? Did he actually go back and then decide that all was lost and put David up for adoption? So um, to raise other people's kids and turn them into superheroes? Yeah, you know. <laughs> or in this particular timeline that we've been watching, Charles Xavier never becomes Professor Xavier. He never opens a school. That's one of the options in this particular timeline that we've been watching, is that we are watching the timeline where they never opened the school for gifted youngsters. It's all a potential in this one. Because part of what David said to him made him go home and he decides I'm not going to travel anymore, I think I'm going to teach. So you've yeah, got was, potential that the timeline before didn't have him teaching at all. What well, was that whole bit about so David's never had a childhood, never had a proper childhood, he doesn't know who he is, he doesn't know where he is, he's on that disjointed upbringing that may or may not be the root cause of his villainy. And then Xavier just simply goes, hang on a minute, just let me be that for you. I'll go back to my own time and I'll change it. And then he does change it. He says, no more traveling. We're just going to raise our son. We're going to make sure he turns out right. Because if not, the world will die. And him getting the sense of what his son will grow into is the catalyst for that change, definitely. But again, it's too quick, far too quick. I think the thing is, everything we've spoken about with this comes back to the same End point, as you say, it, it being too quick, there, there was more there. This It matches the themes, but I wanted to see more of it to really understand it. I think you've covered it, and I think we have. That's what we've talked about on the other themes. And the, the prospect of the Xavier-David team-up was, was really cool, and I think they used that quite well. And Farouk working with himself, because who else would he actually bother to work with? Who else would put up with him other than himself? That was another... Hmm aspect of it. Well you had to level the playing field didn't you so that yeah. there's that what's going to happen in this fight because if it was Charles and David going in to fight one Farouk then you go okay well he's definitely going to win that's it you know Farouk's gone unless Charles turns tables and, and starts going against David which I suppose would have been quite a cool possibility but having two Farouks makes you think okay well it's really going to go down to a big fight now. Yeah, I thought there were some brutal moments between Farouk and David specifically as well, where David was essentially crying, saying that he deserves love and he's a good person, and Farouk's like, mm. no, you don't. No, you aren't. <laughs> and it's just, there's no coddling there. It's just, nope, you're horrible. You're destined to be horrible. I understand, because I'm a bit like you, but at least I've embraced it. You're just terrible, and that's it. That was a really good ending to a fight that I didn't see. It's, yeah. it's strange though because I appreciated the difficulty they had with this episode because they needed three fights and all three fights needed to be visually, atmospherically, meaningfully different. And that's actually going to be really hard, especially when two of them are on the astral plane and one of them is essentially pointless. So you're really going to struggle with that. Now, physical is all that carry carry and... Sid can really offer because Sid can't really use her powers against the time demons and carry carry where she is martial. So you, you've locked out fight already. So what are you going to do with the other two? And they threw the twist in with Xavier and Farouk. Let's have a beer. I thought, I didn't see that coming. That's interesting. And it was really interesting because it gave, as I say, the ending that I really wanted. And then you had Farouk and David. And I always thought, Okay, well, I know what this is. You've done physical, you've done diplomatic, 
the only thing that's left is big mental Barney, like we saw teased in season one, where I'm a tank, really. Well, in that case, I'm quicksand. And it's, it's like the sort of the Disney wizard fight where they each have to turn into different things to defeat the other. And I thought this was going to be that amazing. Was in, that was season two, but, but yeah. It's season, season two. two. Either way, yeah. you know the one I mean where yeah. Farouk, and, yeah. Farouk actually uh, schools David on how to fight this way. And you know that this is coming back because they do it once. And the standard format for storytelling is that you do it once and the, for want of a better word, hero is defeated, which means that you're going to see it again when he learns how to do it, and then he's going to defeat the villain. And of course, they're both villains, but you just assume that format is going to be followed, and you're waiting for it when they're there. And then Farouk sort of blasts a few Davids away, and then they go into the Matrix dogpile, and you thought, oh, no, this wasn't what was promised. This is other films have just been copied here to get through this quickly, to get to the end point that was good. As you say, when he's tied up in his straight jacket, that was really good, but I think I wanted to see the Disney Wizards fight build up to it in the astral plane. And, and I think it would it, be that straight jacket was good as well. Well, that's excellent, but like that, that, they could yeah. have done a lot more with that. He could have been lots of different metaphors and things, eventually having to give up because he can't beat David in, in a mental fight, in a brute force, if you will, mental fight. So he has to start being the Shadow King again. He has to start using emotional manipulation, and that's how he's almost going to win. So loved Saviour, but the other two fights didn't really live up to that one, I think, despite the amazing straight-jacket ending of one of them. Yeah. With Xavier and Baruch sitting in their sort of little uh, coffee shop scene, <laughs> and you see them chatting, and you see Xavier take a drink out the bottle, was I the only person that was half expecting it to be uh, oh, you've just drunk the Kool-Aid, you now believe in me kind of scene? Did you think it was redemption all the way from the start, or were you expecting a double bluff? Do you know why I wasn't expecting that? Not because I was particularly clever and knew they were going diplomatic. I didn't think it would go that way, just because I thought David and younger Farouk were going to take that position of, I trick you into this, that, and the other. Mm. So, and because I knew in somehow that the three fights had to be totally different, I was definitely expecting that ploy, but not from that particular partnership. Oh, so, okay. so I see, yeah, I definitely had the because, same thoughts as you, but yeah. a different viewpoint. Because we had seen the way the cake was used, because we, well, we hadn't seen the glasses at that point. I was expecting, mm. well, you know, what, what happens when you drink this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They tried to make it clear by that point that Farouk had changed. Mm. Although I'm not quite sure when that happened. No. I mean, this is the same guy that just a season ago was, you know, abusing Lenny. And yes. Like, and, and we haven't really seen him move on from that or apologise for that or understand that that might be wrong. So I just don't get where that change would come in. And I think we discussed it, it maybe last time, maybe the first time, where it's like Farouk doesn't need to change. That's the whole point. Because he's so old that none of this matters to him as such. You know, why would a few minutes of chat with Xavier change his mind in any way? That's where season four was eaten. That's what season four should have been. He could have had his moment where he saw something that did change him. And the Time Eaters took that away because we... It's hard to justify change with a being that's that old because why didn't you change before? And, you know, what's different now that 
he hasn't yeah. seen before. And I don't think I ever got that. Because he's met Xavier so. before. He knows Xavier. Mm. You know, what, he's not that old, though, is he? Because when he talks about his time in Morocco, having met Xavier, he speaks as if he's new to his powers and new to his setup. Yeah, that confused and, me as well, because I got the impression that he was ancient. I might have thought that before as well. But then listening to this, this episode, I think I must have read that on the internet or picked that up from reading about the Shadow King from the comics mm. instead. Mm. Yeah, I don't think this particular version is meant to be that ancient because the impression you get when Xavier first visits him and he's doing this story, the puppet show, the Shadow King puppet show behind the screen, you sort of get the impression that he discovered his powers, worked out what he could do and then sort of freed the kingdom kind of thing and then bent it to his will at that mm. point. Not that he's been around for years and years and then decided he was going to overthrow a kingdom. Maybe that was the perception he was giving in earlier seasons mm. as well. So. It might have been that they've done a bit of retconning in it yeah. and they've went, okay, actually, we're going to make him... Uh, well, Farouk wants everybody yeah. to believe that he's an ancient evil. But he's yeah, well, that evil. wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. I'll have to rewatch some of the early stuff to see how they reference it. I think in order to show the mindset change in Farouk, you needed to see him have an opportunity to get exactly what he wanted. He's been working with Division 3... Here's his opportunity while David is out in another time or taken out and he has his opportunity at that point where he can get everything that he has wanted and be in control and take over. And he doesn't take it. He chooses not to take it. And that is Mm. your sign that he's moved on and he's changed and he's not. But you don't get any impression of that up until this, this final episode where you're like, oh, actually... Turns out he loved David all along, and that's why he he started calling him, you know, my boy, my son, my David, and wanted to teach him along. But you just don't get that from the previous season, and you don't get enough of it from this season. The closest you get is sort of the little connection that they have before David jumps onto the ship. You get a little talk there of, let me help you. I don't know whether he helps him get on board or basically draws him in at that point because he doesn't try and stop David in fact it's Switch that sort of bats him out the way rather than David I don't know I I think you needed to see a bit more in there there's odd hints but it's not spelled out and I think you need it to be obvious especially when someone this is the season one villain essentially Farouk in season two he's still being a villain you're still seeing what he's doing to Lenny what he's doing to the other people that are, are sort of caught up the minds that he's he's caught what he gets Oliver to do and then in this you just don't quite get where he stands he's just sort of lingering in the background quite a lot of the time looking down on them for not being able to find David you kind of have the feeling that if he wanted them to find David they'd have found David ages ago but they're sitting there with all these machines looking for mind energy or whatever they're hunting for at the beginning mm-hmm. so I, I think you kind of needed something to signpost it in there i think they did put signs but i think it was so in the background and lost in amongst everything else that it just appears that they didn't do it maybe i'm giving them more credit actually and it wasn't there at all and i'm just sort of trying to pick out and post what i think it was but well, again, I think a true season four would have answered that question for you. We've kind of touched on the things that were missing. So D3, they weren't there for the last three episodes, which I thought was really 
strange considering they've been a fixture since the first season to not have an ending of some sort for them was a bit weird the ending for them was that they evacuated their ship and disappeared to i don't know i'm guessing a yeah. hovercraft or whatever they they've had so many secret bases i don't know <laughs> yet another secret base that they disappeared mm-hmm. to at the end i can't remember what they said engage whatever protocol yeah. and then they just like, disappeared down his, his secret yeah. Base. yeah one of nick fury's miscellaneous bases yeah so D3, I suppose, are still out there, and in this rewritten timeline, they will be out there. But they were kind of taken out as part of David's there's no consequences to what I'm doing in this timeline plot. Yeah. In particular, when he sort of ambushes the RV as it's heading to the office to extract his information. You know, that was another David, there's no consequences to this thing, where he just yeah. absolutely tore through it. So and then erased someone's memory, you know, their long-term memory. Yeah, I guess I wasn't satisfied by that ending then. I mean, again, I didn't quite get what D3 have been doing, in fact, for the last two seasons. Mm. I think there was a lot that was missing in the last season that was kind of unexplained. I mean, you started season two with going, oh, they're working with them now. (laughs) In this season, it was, oh, they've given up the office and they're now on a flying craft for reasons. It it was like, yeah, sure, okay, they've they've done that now. There was a lot with them that just wasn't ever properly explained and I'm guessing was never meant to be explained how the hierarchy worked or anything (laughs) with that. I don't know what kind of ending you could give them with. I, I think we've already discussed the fact that Sid didn't really have much to do with that ending and if they hadn't gone then it wouldn't have made any difference. I think with you know, if you had had Division Three floating about, I mean, I don't know what they would have done either. I think they would have been fodder for the Time Demons, maybe in the past with Baby David. I think that's about as close as you would have got. But they would have just been used as fodder. I don't think you could have fitted them in in any way. I don't know what they turn into in the alternate reality, the alternate future. No, we'll never know. You know, we'll we'll never find that out because essentially what we've watched has been unwritten. So it's a shame Lenny was missing from those episodes as well. Find that when Lenny's not about, I miss the character. I don't know whether it would have fit for her to be around or not, but she was kind of David's friend or his oldest friend. So I thought she would have factored in somewhere. She took herself out, didn't she, Lenny? Could have been a representation of her in the astral plane or anything. Mm. I think there could have been something there. Again, it's another character, I think, that in this season they didn't quite know what to do with. Mm. You know, they kind of had her as a bit of a sort of sidekick running the commune. She couldn't be herself. Like, Lenny, at her most powerful, was sort of season one because it was Farouk's version of Lenny that was able to do anything she wanted to (laughs) You know, with no consequences, no human body. Even in season two, you get that for the majority. But then once you get into season three, you're going, okay, so she's real, she's back. How does that feel? And you don't really get it. She's still sort of the Mad Hatter's tea party kind of thing going on, but not much beyond that. It just didn't quite feel the same. Did you miss her, Aaron? Or do you think she had no place? It's a too many questions thing. She was another question that there was no time to answer. So... Unlike Division 3, I will say that she was a notable missing element, uh, but I was nonetheless distracted by everything that was going on. There was just so much happening that the characters had to go in order of their importance. So Ptolemy goes quickly and Clark goes quickly because they are not important. Lenny goes later because she's 
more important so she has to be around a bit longer so she needs to be given a bit of a better send-off but nonetheless she is not connected to the main plot lines anymore she's a past story she was done and therefore had to go before the finale and it's strangely even sid she's not really connected to the main plot line and she was she could have been but yeah, she's not mm. quite connected to the main plot line by the time it comes to the last episode. So she has to go, although this time just into a basement. But it's the same principle. You need mm. to get out of the way because we don't have time for you. So even though, yes, I did notice Lenny wasn't there, I will say she had no really useful part anywhere in season three. So I didn't really miss her that much because I was at least engaged in the other plot lines. And I suppose the swan song for Melanie and Oliver as well in episode 25. So they gave everyone their farewell stint on the show. Everyone yes. that had been there from the start. Honestly, yeah. I would have preferred that. What they did with Melanie and Oliver, even though I think it is, as I've said, the opening of a different season and a bit strange mm. here because it resets everything in an old way. It was the right choice, I think, for how much time they had available we got to see them, they got their bit, they got their swan song, as you say, and I liked that. I thought that was the right use of them. I would have preferred to have Lenny, Tonomy, and everybody else who was in the same level of importance, given the same thing. I would like to have had Lenny turn up in the final battle as a distraction or mm. as part of one of David's being lost in the astral plane, figuring out who he is, and she comes along to question him and slap him out a bit, and that helps him learn something. Antonomy could have been a representation of something too. I think you could have taken all of them into that, and they would have been much better used, potentially giving more space to Sid then, who could have taken a greater part in the plot because she was more relevant. Or, or they could have all played roles in Sid's fantasy fairy tale mm. upbringing that you could have definitely put autonomy in there you could have had lenny being the big bad wolf sort of character That's i don't true. know if that would have fitted well, as well would have been, but would have been robbed of uh, what's his name from from the good place. oh well yeah um, or from brooklyn 99 uh, where is that yeah. true lenny had got first stamp on that role i think whereas he was good Lenny would have been amazing in that role, especially with some sort of crazy wolf dance number. By the way, get rid of all this musical nonsense, bring back the dance numbers. But yeah, Lenny would have been an well, the, amazing the, wild wolf. The rap battle had choreography. Yeah, but it was two lightly older <laughs> white men doing rap in a kind of a weird sort of way. Jason I preferred Manzoukas, to... though. Yeah, I, I had to search for his name because I keep forgetting, but Jason Manzoukas. Yeah, but to be honest, I actually was much more impressed by the episode, and I can't remember it was, where they they have a metaphorical fight in a nightclub by doing those dance moves. Where was that? Oh, was that, 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 that season was season two? season two, episode one. Because I noted down, because I thought dance numbers might have come up, and I've, I've yeah. put down <laughs> Dance Battle v. Oliver, season two, episode one, because yeah. that was excellent. Yeah, that was great. And that the the rap battle, I, I, did, I didn't live up to that to me. I was, just wasn't into it. It just seemed a bit too, ooh, yeah, you're a bit old for this. Stop it. It, it's a bit it, silly. Was, it, it was hilarious when it was, there's only one way to solve this. And then you get the pause, and then it's a rap battle. <laughs> well, I didn't expect that to be the situation. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I probably should have, but I didn't <laughs> expect it. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. It was unexpected, yep. 
Yeah, yeah and I, I, I thought it was quite good. It was it was deliciously lame. I think. I think that um, was the point. I think yeah, the only thing that's worse like puns, was, though, isn't it? Are you bringing you bringing all this naff stuff like puns in again? No, 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 no. We should just avoid it. <laughs> I think the only thing worse than the the rap battle was me and Craig attempting to rap battle over instant messenger after watching the episode. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see lame rap, that was lame rap. Yeah, we're not going to repeat it. No, we're not. <laughs> I, did, I did suggest we should try for a rap battle, but we would have probably had to really think about it to cover that episode in its entirety. The The fact is we've had quite a lot of Legion podcasts eaten by the Time Eaters as well. Yeah. And in one of them, we did a rap battle. <laughs> yeah, just just assume. <laughs> Pick out the episode where the, the, the rap battle was eaten out by Time Eaters. Yeah. Although there was a good musical number, the David one, I mm. mentioned the last podcast that he can't articulate himself very well and he turns to song. And those yeah. songs are always very meaningful in terms of his feelings. And I think that was in chapter 26, if I remember right. That's he, when he does his kind of sing-along. He has a big number with him talking about singing to his mother in the yeah. final one, which is mm, Pink Floyd very much number. on theme. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, because that's very much where he does actually either realise he does deserve love or does get love from his mother through a connection, depends on how metaphorical you think it is, and then it reinvigorates him. And I cannot deny that that form of music, as you've described it, it has purpose. But couldn't he have danced it? Come on! (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we were robbed of a dance number in the last season, really. Should have finished with a big song and dance number, I think. That's what we needed. Did anyone else clock the Godzilla roar in chapter 26? No. No. It's at the very, very beginning. Right. It's after the evidently on Legion. <laughs> it's very quick. It's when it shows that monster thing, it makes a Godzilla roar sound. And I was like, oh, that's something that I noticed. It's just a monster roar, I guess, but I don't know. I thought I would well, mention it. If you went through and looked for all the Easter eggs, you'd probably find loads because it's that sort of show yeah tons of them yeah there's probably easter eggs about the character of legion that i don't pick up on because i haven't read that much stuff that the characters actually appeared in could be yeah who knows time eaters so we were praising them last time Hmm. We we were quite happy with them last time i think here they make less sense because they just add in this artificial ticking clock but you already have the ticking clock anyway so you don't need the second one. So it's just for you to cut back to... Admittedly, it's cool to see Kerry sort of kicking ass and fighting them, find a way to defeat them and things, but pointless. They're not really needed in these last couple of episodes. It's telling that they are in no way appearing in the battles between David and Farouk and Xavier and Farouk. Therefore, they have no bearing on the main plot of Season 4 at all. They're a throwaway from Season 3 and suddenly stuck because they've eaten away the gap and find themselves caught bridging the two without really meaning to be there. Yeah. And although there is the suggestion that they have some form of consciousness because they break Farouk out, that suggests something other than instinctual behaviour. It's very deliberate for that. I missed that, actually. That I thought he'd broken himself. Because he got himself into the time between time, and then he got them out of the time between time in an earlier episode. But then he gets put back into the time between time, and they say, and now he's stuck. And I thought, well, why? He can just leave. So I, I think I just missed that, because I was... Well, there might be a difference between, like, he entered the first time by choice, but the second time he was put in by switch. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, like, him coming out of the picture... So, like, in his palace, in the past, he had a picture of the 
time between times, place between places. Mm-hmm. And then he breaks out of that. So how did the time eaters <laughs> let him out then? Because I could understand that that's how he found his way out. That sort of he, he looked for himself and found himself, and that yeah. was a doorway. And he, that's very egotistical as he is. But how are the so Craig? How are the time eaters responsible for that? So they definitely did something. I'm actually blanking on the details because they, sure. he saw the eggs. There was like a couple of eggs and stuff, which assumed were maybe like baby time eaters or something. Mm. I remember that bit. But couldn't quite work out how he knew that he could break through and get out. I didn't think the timing does anything to do with that. And I admit, if you showed me that part of the episode and proved it, I would have to go, yeah, fair enough. But I don't remember it. I just remember the four-dimensional beings, father and daughter, talking. And the way father describes them, they're almost dogs to be trained. Now, I admit to some being that's supposed to be so evolved that the lives of three-dimensional creatures and even destroying their world is so inconsequential because they're so far below them that maybe they do consider sentient beings to be essentially the same as attack dogs. But just presented in its raw state, I thought they were just supposed to be animals that the 4D bods could control as they wanted because they domesticated them. So here's a bit from a recap. The Time Eaters break Farouk out of the time between time, literally smashing the frame and allowing him to travel through the photograph on then Farouk's wall in order to materialise and aid mm-hmm. the younger version of himself. I should have paid more attention then. <laughs> so, yeah. I knew I'd seen something that they'd done, so they broke the frame. I don't even understand that because that has no purpose. Why would they do that? They have no reason to do that. They want to eat everything, so I don't follow that. I appreciate that's in the recap, but was that actually in... Legion itself, or is that someone's interpretation of it that they've written on their website? Well, that's what I took from it as well, that there'd been some kind of will at play. Although, if they are just trained attack dogs by the 4D people, then that makes sense. Maybe Farouk used them. Maybe in there he was able to control them and say, hey, there's a wall there that needs someone to ram their head against it. Don't fancy ramming my head against it, but why don't you guys all get together? And so, bang, they go, and... So it's more that he uses them to get himself out. They are breaking through to get to David. He's then able to break through after them, I guess. Oh, maybe. So he's taking advantage of them with his own cleverness. Yeah. That kind of makes a bit of sense to me, but I don't know why they would sort of ignore him and just let him go about his business in there, considering that he killed one the last time he was in with a big cartoon sword. Well, maybe Um, it's just hyenas versus lions. He's just too powerful. So they just say, oh, let's go for the easier target. Uh, I, I don't know. And it's, also, the, the, that's the season four, isn't it? You've got this whole story mm. about the 4D beings and the relationship to the Time Eaters and what that all means. You know, There's a missing episode that explains all of that. I do think that they could have been missing from this final bit. They add that ticking clock, you know, both sort of literally in the sound effects and the, the thing for David. I don't know what the consequences of them eating time around baby David while David is trying to fight for Rook yeah. to save his future thing is. No. But again, it's like, I suppose without that, it would feel like, well, they've got all the time they want to take on Farouk. There's no time pressure because, well, they've travelled back, so they've got all the time left now. Yeah, they're also in the astral plane. Mm. Like, time is infinite in the astral plane, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, so you can have a blink of an eye in the real world, and yeah, actually it's been several years in the astral plane as they negotiate their peace treaty. So there's no rush in the astral plane. 
So that ticking clock in there doesn't connect to the ticking clock out there because you know that they aren't synced in any way. I suppose it does for us dramatically, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, The episode makes it look like they are because you keep cutting back to Kerry swinging her sword around and killing them and Mm. whatever else. And you see them encroach on the crib Mm. because that's the threat, you know. But it doesn't join up because it goes against the established rules of the show, which is weird. I haven't really seen them contradict their rules before. Too many rules. There are a lot of rules. But yeah, so the ending specifically, I mean, it all seems to wrap itself up in a neat little package. I think David's line was quite poetic about, I mean, I don't remember this precise wording of the line, but he talks about how he'll have a childhood and then he'll grow up and then he'll become a man and then he'll be fine. I guess the open question is, is it that simple? Or is there something horribly wrong in this other timeline that we don't see? Presumably... Well, nothing's perfect, right? So there will be problems along the way. Well, it's as you said before, if he's got this time a parent and a family to guide him, or maybe it's as Chris said, actually, that will make it better. He won't have a paradise where everything's easy, but that's not the point. That's not real life. Presumably, he will still have difficulties. He does still have two people sharing one brain. That's not easy, but... He still has his powers to deal with. He still his powers, but this time he'll have a mother and a father to love him and raise him correctly. And there was definitely a statement from Sid's episode to state that if you are raised well, then despite the problems of the world, you will become a good person and be able to deal with that. Yeah. So he won't have a great world, hmm. but he might have a great life because he'll be now able to deal with that world. Yeah. You've also got an Xavier who's eating the mind cake and knows everything that's potentially going to happen there. Knows pitfalls. Yeah. And he knows that he's yeah, a mutant. He, he knows that, that he's got yeah. powers. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the rules of that would be because he gained the knowledge when David travelled back in time. But if that David has been erased, but if you then say that David's been erased and that that information hasn't travelled, that means that Farouk didn't travel back, which means Farouk didn't change his mind, which means that he still tries to attack Charles and still ends up in David and the same thing happens again. Well, that's where your four-dimensional qualifier comes in. (laughs) Don't worry, guys. It all matters. Your actions matter. Yeah, I remembered that you did something better this time. Next time, you'll nail it. (laughs) It kind of reminds me of that episode of Angel, Aaron, you might remember it better than Chris does. The one where, spoilers for a 20-odd-year-old episode of Angel, beware. But in the episode, he becomes human because his blood mixes with a demon's blood and it just turns him human. Convenient, you might think. And all great for him, but it's not great because he still has that sense of responsibility. And in the end, he gives it up. The being human thing, the happiness, the everything. But he's the only one that remembers, so he has that kind of tragedy to deal with for the rest of the series, where he could have had the perfect life and, and didn't. It's almost like that, because if Xavier remembers everything that was experienced, if Farouk remembers everything experienced, then they carry the burden of that other world, that other timeline. And I suppose it's up to them to make sure it doesn't happen again. I think the implication is that it is that, because... They do talk about their previous experience, joking that it was a dream. But you have to kind of say, well, yeah, but it it wasn't a dream, you know, actually, I think to get your own satisfaction, but also simply to acknowledge that they decide not to have him put up for adoption. And also Xavier is returned, not in a flaming panic, I've just defeated this evil creature. He actually comes home quite happy. 
has a chat with his wife. Are we going to kiss? Yeah, damn right, we're going to kiss. You know, so <laughs> it's definitely different because he has had a different experience with the Shadow King. And if it had been the same experience where they fought then he wouldn't have come home so happy because he wouldn't be satisfied. So it is definitely different. But how that's possible, I think, is just left to a conceit. And the easiest way of dealing with that is he remembers. So I think that's just implied by what must be true. I wonder if that's why they introduced the four-dimensional beings, so you could have that. You could have the changes while other things remain. Maybe. So that we don't sit there and ask the question of, but if David never existed, then how does any of this happen? But it can all happen because the four-dimensional beings are aware of this other timeline and they pick and choose what parts of it need to remain in order to make this better timeline function. It's, yeah, done. Move it on. Eat your cake. It's that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> eat the mind cake. Yeah. <laughs> and shut up. <laughs> I mean, the, so the fairy tale aspect of it does kind of tie into the ending quite nicely, I think. These kind of complex issues hidden behind these very simple sweeping declarations so you had this whole all david really needs is a mother's love well that was pretty strong in one of the episodes yeah. if someone had decided to just go on to that trope because i mean sid says there is nothing so amazing as a mother's love and then xavier says yeah i should have been there to raise you and that's my fault so yeah. they, and yeah. it was immediately contrasted by the daddy issues going on in the astral plane as well you know, <laughs> xavier has daddy issues because he not ready to be a dad, I guess. David has daddy issues because he didn't know his dad. and I guess Farouk might, to some degree. I don't know. He feels like he was David's dad, so he's got daddy issues. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's that connection. <laughs> um, there's that kind of paternal connection between them because the, he's been stuck in his head for so long. But even despite the fact that it does have that fairy tale ending, it is still created by the diplomacy of the older characters it isn't just and it worked out because it's amazing it did work out because two wiser people two wiser heads got together and said should we fix this with compromise yes we should yeah so it's not too pure at the end i don't think yeah i mean that is a very charles xavier thing to do as well we don't have to fight let's not fight at least traditional charles xavier thing to do i wouldn't say that this version is in any way traditional really I mean, I said last week, Xavier in this show, you wouldn't really connect him to any prior version of it, at least through seeing him or hearing him or anything like that. And it's when they name him. I mean, it's a completely different version. It's almost like he could be anybody, but in the comics, Legion is Xavier's son, so they need to do it here, I guess. They kind of just call him Charles, don't they, all the time? The Xavier thing's almost never mentioned. Well, that's not important, really. Yeah. Yeah, just an interesting take on the character. And I guess the fact that he just gives up his quest to understand mutant kind to just raise his son i suppose that's something else as well yeah i mean i I think it's an interesting version of xavier or just charles if we're going to stick with what they did i think it was pretty well acted i I liked it i liked this version it was something different that we hadn't seen before he wasn't trying to be a patrick stewart-esque character very much his own sort of take on it this universe's take on it i thought it was neat like i said before it's the whole potential there that the reason this charles xavier that we were seeing never got into teaching until david intervened and put him back on track well there's no evidence that the x-men exist in the old timeline Mm. none at all you don't even really know what happened to xavier in the years Mm. since putting him up for adoption they never really mention it well you had the whole summerland thing which was kind of for x-men in season one 
Yeah, but it didn't connect to him in any way, did it? It didn't sort of connect to him. But then you think, okay, well, if in this future timeline, this is where Xavier sets up the X-Men, there is the potential, now that he's got all the knowledge of all these people who are out there, that he could assemble that. So there is the possibility in this timeline that he sets up the X-Men based on the fact that he's living a more traditional family life. There's also the possibility that he doesn't, and that creates problems in itself. Mm, yeah, it depends on if you think that in the previous timeline the X-Men were floating about and letting David get on with what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, there's no evidence either way. I'm just speculating. No, like, no. Well, I, I, these are kind X-Men of characters, you know, it's just, that's where I'm yeah. making the connection. Yeah, I kind of like the idea that in the timeline that we've been watching, he never did it. And that now that he's got the idea, he's seen Summerland through David's eyes and knows that these people are out there and knows that this kind of thing can be done, that he uses that as some form of template. You know, once he teaches. I, I think that's quite interesting. Now, whether it's just me blowing a load of smoke, because of course we're not going to see it on screen, but no. I do like it as an idea that a lot of good comes out of it. I mean, it is, like you've said before, the sort of fairy tale ending of this. Is this the one where it all turns out rosy in the end because yeah. of this change? So I suppose that sort of brings me on to a final question. So the ending is that David and Sid disappear, and then that's the end. You don't see anything else after that. Did you want to see some indication of how it all turned out? Did you want it to kind of cut to Mm. the new adult David and look at what he looks like? You know, what his life is like? Give you that kind of suggestion? Or were you happy enough with the way they just left it completely open and it leaves the possibility for us to sit in a podcast asking if Xavier made the X-Men or not? I'm kind of split. I like the fact that it's left open and that you draw your own conclusion. You go, did it work? Did it not work? What happened to everyone? And what happened to these characters without this timeline being completely different? I also think, being Legion, they could have done some very weird catch-up sort of thing in the credits almost you know you watch a documentary and it'll come up with black text going uh, david went on to become a farmer in illinois <laughs> you know it was that kind of thing i was almost expecting at the end carrie and carrie went on to develop several new technologies including designing the iphone you know i don't know something silly like that up at the end or having switch going back to find them and see where they had gone and just sort of maybe being in the background of a couple of shots. I don't know. Something like that, maybe. But I kind of get why they've left it the way they did. It's like, let audiences make their own mind up. Don't spell it out. Just leave everyone to take their own version of it. I want to leave it where it is as an open question, because one of the things that I have most enjoyed about Legion is the discussion that it's created. And part of that is, where is it going from here? What does it all mean? And I wouldn't want a definitive answer from Legion because it would have ruined the possibility of discussing where it would have gone and what it all means as an ending. As you say, decide what does that mean for even a supporting character like Charles Xavier? Does that affect his life to go on and create the X-Men, let alone the bigger characters? Does this have an effect on David and he is raised better? And a rather open question of how on earth is Sid even changed by this? Because Switch says you will live this amazing life and you will become a goddess among all people and become so stupendous that everything will be much better. And I'm thinking, well, really? She's actually going to be left alone in the madhouse, isn't she? Yeah, I mean, surely Sid's life doesn't change from the original one. Yeah, 
but equally, I'm a four-dimensional being, and I need you to accept your death, because honestly, I don't want to have to deal with you having a hissy fit here, because it would be really difficult for me, mm. and I don't want to have a bad feeling about this. So, yeah, I mean, it could be that, but the four-dimensional beings are rather unpleasant in their inability to care, mm. although Switch is different. She does seem to care, at least. But all of that comes from the fact that the last scene is a baby potentially well supported by parents and we have to ask ourselves if we honestly believe that it's going to grow up differently and it is our choice it's it's ours to discuss and legion i think needed to end that way for me to be satisfied with it after all this chat and possibility that we've managed to get out of it for for three good seasons yeah i agree with you aaron i completely agree that I think the season's right to end where it did, or the series is right to end where it did. You've got this situation where the characters are reset to some degree, and I'm happy not knowing what becomes of them being reset. The thing is, if your last image of Sid was her completely distraught because of all the stuff that we've seen her distraught about before, you know, with switching bodies with her mother and all this stuff, this horrible stuff that she never had any context for, and then getting stuck in an asylum and being and staying there because David wasn't there to pull her out, but suppose Xavier comes and finds her, maybe, because, mm, maybe. because you know, he knows he knows everything. That's true. Farouk goes to find her because he's a good guy now and true, yeah. wants to help her. You know, it, these possibilities are everywhere. But I don't want those questions answered. I'm sort of reminded of the final scene of Continuum, you know, where you see, uh, I forget the character's name, arrive in the future. And you see what that future looks like. It should end a scene earlier where she goes into the future and then you don't see her appearing. What was the character's Rachel. name again? That bugs me, Rachel. Rachel, yeah. Is that not the actor's name? Is it? Yeah. I'm going to have to look now. Okay. <laughs> Keep talking. So in Continuum, you see that, oh, look, this is what the future looks like. This is everything that was accomplished. Whereas it would be far better to be like, oh, what kind of future is she wandering into? I have no idea. Will it be better? Will it not? And I'm happy sitting there asking myself these questions. What happens to all these people? What paths do their lives take? And that's fodder for discussion. And the, sometimes the worst thing you can do is answer a question. Random interjection, Kira Cameron. That's the one. Yeah, it's Rachel Nichols. That's the one. Yeah. So that's it, I guess. Do we have anything else to bring up on Legion? Did everybody get through all their notes? Because I did, pretty much. Uh, pretty much. I think I did. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, well. So that's it. We began this project of discussing legion way back in season one we did all eight episodes it almost killed us and by us i mean me uh season two a bit more of a relaxed approach this season we had the really intense big four episode podcast discussion that was it was slightly rough it was i mean in terms of just how, how much we needed to cover but we did it as far as i know we're the only dedicated legion podcast on the internet still haven't really looked extensively <laughs> we're just going to assume we're just going to go out assuming it I'm just going to declare myself as something it's fine, I would absolutely love to chat to Noah Hawley or anyone involved with this show about their perception of everything that went on and that would be amazing, so if any of them are listening give me a shout we'll chat for hours be great Right. Um, just before you do too much of a wrap up I need to tell you not to google the words legion podcast Okay. And you just know I'm instantly going to do that. 
Uh-huh. There'll be about a million of them. <laughs> That's just the very first thing is, hey, come and read our Legion podcast, and it's totally not ours. Uh, what, not read, watch it. <laughs> Legion yeah. podcast, best, le- best Legion podcast. God, there's actually a dedicated, oh my God, clockworks. There's loads of them. Oh. <laughs> there's literally a Legion of Legion yeah, we, podcasts. We, 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 we are Legion podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hang on. I told you not to Google Clock, it. Clockworks is a great name for one. Well done, <laughs> Clockworks Podcast. Give them a shout out. Yeah, we have missed a trick here. We're deaf ah, compared They've to got their own Twitter account, Craig. For the <laughs> Come on. Oh, well. Legion yeah. After Show. There we go. There's another one. Sorry, we're trying to balance by now naming them all. Should the Time Eaters eat my declaration, or should I just... <laughs> yeah, all previous declarations <laughs> are now eaten. <laughs> Yeah, I've got a lot of editing to do, guys. I've got to go into every Legion podcast and get, remove any reference to us being the only one. Okay. I accept that. We are a Legion podcast, then. Fine. We are one of the... Yeah. We are Legion. We are Legion. Well, that's kind of fitting. Aren't we all the same podcast when it comes down to it? So there you go. So yeah, we've been with this from the beginning, and it's good to get a little bit of closure on it, I suppose. The, the fact that we stayed until the end. We discussed it until the end. We three in various combinations, all of which included me. So it's not that various, I suppose. So, Aaron, what is your final ever thing that you might say about Legion being recorded? Legion has been one of the most interesting shows I've watched for a long time. And I I definitely want to see more of this sort of stuff in science fiction, even if it's not going to be inside the supers mutant genre because i just want to have something to talk about i'd known for hate and fun like in the dark stuff but there's there's definitely got to be some value in the conversations we've we've had about all this and it doesn't seem that you get too many shows that are prepared to to throw that out there so i did like the ending even though i didn't necessarily love how they got to it but um, I'm really glad we've had Legion because I think it overall it's definitely been a kneel before. We'll always have Legion. Chris, yes. final ever thing you'll ever say about Legion. Final ever. thing I will ever say ever about, about Legion. Um, after today, you're not allowed to talk about it ever again. I'm banned from talking about it on anything <laughs> else after this point. I really enjoyed it overall. It, it made me think, and one of the things that I've enjoyed the most is discussing it with you guys, because you always sort of open my eyes to things that I maybe weren't thinking about before. Hopefully I've done the same sometimes for you, but yeah, it's been really fun to watch. And interesting episodes of television guaranteed every time. I'm very, very glad we put the effort in to cover it in this kind of format, or this shifting format, which is appropriate for Legion. We aren't the same season to season, so neither is it. So that's a really appropriate. So I'm very glad we did it. I remember trying to recruit someone to write about it in the first season, and just nobody was that interested. And I was like, ah, oh, we've started a podcast recently. Let's give that a go, episode by episode coverage. And it worked. I mean, I'm so glad that I didn't decide to write about it because that would have driven me mad every single week. <laughs> I wouldn't have known where to start because I think the one consistent thing about the format is is us sitting there trying to puzzle out what we've seen. And I think, I mean, I haven't gone back to listen to the early episodes up until this point, but I think as we come to this point, we have gained an understanding of how the show works to some extent. 
and we have managed to have fuller discussions about what's actually going on rather than wondering what's going on. So I think that's been a lot of development for us as well as analysts, I suppose. I don't know if either of you would agree with that. Your I mind has been expanded by the psychedelic drug that is Legion. <laughs> that is it. That is it. It's so yeah. It's been a been a project. Um, it's been a good project. I've really enjoyed it, and I'll miss it. It's the second of my shows to disappear <laughs> over the next year, where I'm going to be losing a bunch of stuff. So that's something. Um, that's something that that's kind of bittersweet, I suppose. When does the official mourning period start? Where you're wearing all black. I'm always wearing black. <laughs> I'm wearing black right now. It's a Godzilla t-shirt, but it's black. <laughs> Just to give everyone a, a bit of a picture there. So yeah, it's been good. And I think we should continue to sort of check in with Noah Hawley's projects every now and again. Just to see what he's up to. So that, that film Lucy in the Sky, trailer in the show notes, is out in December. 6th of December or something like that. So we could reconvene. Mm. and sort of discuss the strange mind that is Noah Hawley once again. Sure. I mean, we could go back and watch Fargo, but I uh, can't be bothered with that. It'd take too long. That was him as well. So, Lucy in the Sky. Natalie Portman going crazy in space. What more can you want? Well, she's normally going crazy in a film, but yeah, putting it in space adds a bit of change, so yeah, why not? Yeah. Sure. So as a kind of final thing, I will just... Oh, I'm going to kneel before Legion, by the way, completely. Chris, I assume you're doing the same. <laughs> Non-committal. Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all kneeling before it. So we stuck it out. So, Chris, I would say thank you for descending into the depths of the the astral plane in your big ice fortress or whatever <laughs> thank you thank you very much yeah. i'm gonna go and catch up on everything i missed while i was tiny <laughs> that'll take a while and aaron thank you for persevering with this project as well yeah uh, i wish i knew how to end legion properly but i'd like to think that you'll just imagine me doing a dance number now to finish yeah unfortunately we can't audioize that but aaron is dancing be assured of that and so, yeah, that's it. I'm going to go and write my Legion fan fiction where Xavier forms the X-Men. So that was a discussion of the final episodes of Legion. A special thanks to YouTuber 331Erock for the supplied music. If you like what you heard, then please do hit that subscribe button on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, please do leave us a star rating and comment. If you want to discuss Legion or anything else, then hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. As always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. <laughs>